traveling through another dimension. Another dimension. A dimension not only of sight and sound, but of mind. But of mind. A journey into a wondrous land. land whose boundaries are that of imagination. That's the signpost up ahead. Your next stop, the Twilight Zone. Tonight on the Twilight Zone podcast, we close the door on the 2020 series of the new Twilight Zone. If you've noticed, unless there's a couple of stragglers in the feedback section talking about previous episodes, I usually start it off with tonight's guest because he always brings the energy. He's always a good guy to get the party started. So I thought, why not bring him onto the main show to end this one? Zach, welcome to the podcast again, man. Thanks so much, Tom. I can think of no two episodes I'd rather discuss about this season than these two. <laughs> it's a game of two halves, man. It's a game of two halves. <laughs> so they have that saying in the US? Probably. Okay. Okay. Well, <laughs> depends on your point of view. It, it could be said that this is a game of two halves, depending on, well, based upon the kind of internet reaction that I've seen. Mm. I, I think maybe for most people it is. I'm very interested to get into it with you about these because I know you've been, you know, keeping your opinions close to the vest, uh-huh. you know, because being the the host and the uh, custodian of the Twilight Zone podcast, you know, people are <laughs> waiting to hear your takes with the podcast, so you don't want to give it all away. So, uh, but the time has come to put all our cards on the table and and think and talk about what we thought about these two, and then talk a little bit about the whole season too at the end, right? Well, exactly, exactly, because what I what I tend to do with the guests is. We would have this part here where we, I would say, how have you liked the season so far? But I won't do it this time for two reasons. Firstly, because you've sent in feedback for every episode already. So I think people will generally uh, get the gist of what you said. But you're quite right. At the end of this one, we'll have a little summing up. Uh, we'll maybe, you know, do some rankings, that kind of thing. But uh, what I will ask you, and maybe we won't get too deep into it, is... Yep. As the season's gone on and you, you've seen discussions take place, has your um, opinion on any episodes changed at all? You know, you mentioned my feedback, and I thank you very much for playing them first. It was like, oh, man, Tom put me first. I didn't know if it's just because I sent it in first or, or not. But I actually, when I sent those in, uh, knowing that you were going to do the podcast this way, I, I would generally, uh, depending on what time of day or whatever I watch the episodes, I would watch two of them and then mm-hmm. send in my thoughts. Because okay. I'm like, all right, I, I want to watch all of them and then think like, oh, yeah, this is for number three and mm-hmm. four. And, you know, because your thought there's so much, you know, as we know, having assimilated all this so quickly. Uh, so those were what you guys heard when you and the listeners heard my thoughts. Those were right after watching them, you know, uh-huh. like I, like and with no other perspective of what was to come. So I would say and when we do rankings at the end, uh, I'll say this again, but I think generally the order of them all and my opinion of them all has stayed consistent that 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 might fluctuate like if we were going to break it down by numbers and Mm. and i realized i I didn't actually put you know number ratings in my in my feedback but i did i have uh started to participate in in the flick chat tom Mm -hmm. uh which is i recommend everybody check that out it's a really fun little group over there uh and so i uh shout out to my fellow texan harold clark uh i've been putting some numbers in there so you know, not, I'm not going to like renumber them or anything. Yeah. Uh, I, others might have gone up and down slightly. Like I, I might dislike eight less now uh-huh. than I did. <laughs> <laughs> um, 
But on the whole, I, I think they all pretty much stay consistent with when I first saw them and then seeing the conversation and watching the ones I did watch again that I watched again, the, those opinions have, have stayed constant. Okay. So I, I, I don't know if that says something about me or the show, <laughs> but that's where I am. Okay, okay. It would be quite easy to jump off that and really get into that kind of <laughs> season discussion. So I'm going to leave it there. I'm going to leave it there for now. Uh, should we get into our first story then? Let's do it, Tom. Or have we already done this, Tom? Oh. How many times have we done this podcast? <laughs> a podcast is what you make it. It feels like a lot for me, to be honest. <laughs> <laughs> I uh, Okay, this one's called Try Try. It is written by Alex Rubens, who is, you know, pretty... Uh, he's done a few of these new ones now. Maybe one of the, the kind of uh, more prolific writers in the new Twilight Zone and directed by Jen McGowan. So... This is the kind of evil Groundhog Day episode. Um, it, uh, you know, it, it starts out innocently enough. A guy intervenes when it looks like a lady is going to get hit by a truck. They strike up a conversation. All very pleasant. All very nice. I think the moment for me, which I thought was beautifully done, that made me think something's not quite right here. Do you remember the water bottle catch? Yes, yes. Just before the opening narration, you know, and it's like, oh, this is so nice. They're having a nice chat. They're having this, you know, this connection catch. Okay, something's not right here. I, I really like that. And then and then it kind of goes into the opening narration. So And that that was just enough to kind of push it over for you. Yeah. Because you're like, hmm. They seem to have a lot in common, but is this like a meet cute where it's like, oh my God, fate has brought us together. We connect so well. But that showed you there was something going on there. Mm -hmm. And to the episode's credit, and we'll get into it here, right? I didn't know it was going to be sinister, <laughs> right? I was like, because your mind goes like, okay, is this a guy at a time? Does he, is this, was this his wife and he's going back in time to, to do something or, or is it? Is he just try? Is he keep going back in time and try to make something work with this girl? No, he's uh -huh. that's the side note. Like that's not the cause. He yeah. has decided to do this because of a circumstance, right? Because a lot of time travel is like, oh, I need to go back and do this one thing, right? Yeah. Or I need to save this person, or I need to, I want to change this thing in my past. This is, as you said, evil Groundhog Day, mm -hmm. which Groundhog Day is one of my favorite movies of all time. So I'm already predisposed to love this episode, and I really enjoy where they take it. But let's continue. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Well. <laughs> Something that interested me early on, and I don't want to get too much into what the episode is all about so early, but in Jordan Peele's opening narration, he says that it's a match made not in heaven or the internet, but in the Twilight Zone. Mm. So the fact that he mentioned the internet to me seems to be quite pertinent. It seems to... Because why put it in there, you know? And, and I think... This season, and I don't know whether it's just me, but I seem to be comparing them to the sort of modern internet interactions we have. Do you know what I mean? Maybe not a lot of the season, but certainly like the first episode. Yes, absolutely. There was a huge online dating vibe with that one. Yeah, yeah. And I think this one as well. I don't know how much we should we should get into that now, but I mean, <laughs> is it just me or were you thinking stuff like that? Well, definitely our mindset is there now. I think, you know, the way that we communicate 
as a society and as friends. And I mean, look at us, right? We're sitting across the pond here, but we've become good friends because of podcasting mm-hmm. and we have met in person. So that helps. Uh, yeah. But th- there's not a lot of media that addresses this kind of uh, interaction, right? Mm-hmm. Because it didn't exist until a few years ago. Now there was a, there was a very <laughs> bottom of the barrel kind of horror movie that came out a couple of years ago. It was called unfriended, right? Okay. It is just, it, <laughs> it is, it is, it's an entire horror movie that takes place over Skype. Okay, really? so it's it's an interesting it's another Blumhouse movie, yeah, you know, yeah. high concept, you know, a low budget, you know, kind of schlock, but you know, clever enough, right? But what is what was what I thought was the most interesting about it is because you you saw how and this is you know about teenagers talking on Skype over a weekend, right? But you see how they communicate, mm. like you see you see somebody type out a whole message, and then they delete everything and they replace it with okay, <laughs> and you're like, man, that is how people talk, and you know. So I use that as an example as how, like, just to say that I think media is catching up to the way we communicate now. Because even in the even though we've had the internet for what like twenty five years now, I don't know, give or take, mm. we haven't had social media and video chats. I think these are the last ten, even five years, to like everybody does it yeah. at this point. I think everybody has a social media account of some type. Even ten years ago, people are like, "What is a Twitter?" I mean, I was like that ten years ago. I was like, <laughs> "What is this? Is a Facebook status website? Doesn't make any sense." So yeah. I, I see what you're saying, and I definitely think there are there are a lot of episodes here that do online dating. I didn't, or you know, online relationships. Mm. Uh, I didn't really feel that vibe with this one per se. What what made you feel that vibe with this particular story, or at least off the top? I'll tell you what. Let's put a pin in that for now because it, okay. it kind <laughs> of uh, it's sort of like a summing up for me. Because you're okay. right. It's like I think. The internet and the way people communicate, is it just exposing the, the kind of people that have always existed in the world and the way they manipulate each other and and, and that kind of yeah. thing? It's just that they've now got a new avenue to do it or does it bring out the worst in people who might not have ordinarily been that way? I don't know. It's it's certainly <laughs> fertile ground to kind of to mine these stories from. But um, toe for grace, man. It's come a long way since Spider-Man 3, hasn't he, Tom? Yeah, I just remember him with his spiky hair and, you know, he, he's a bit of a young heartthrob kind of guy. I haven't seen him in anything recently. Have you seen him in much lately? Uh, I saw him in Black Klansman. Okay, uh, which I want to see Jordan, that. Jordan Peele was, a, I believe he was an executive producer or producer on it. Uh, Sp- Spike Lee film won Best Original Screenplay at the Oscars last year. Mm-hmm. Uh, true story about a... Uh, african-american guy who strikes up a conversation over the phone uh with the kkk becomes a member and then um uh a a white officer has to quote unquote play him to infiltrate the group so really interesting dynamics there and based off a true story he plays the the grand wizard of the kkk right but he's like this sleazy guy but like a kind of like a fun idiot sleazy guy right Mm -hmm. but that's kind of it seems to be his wheelhouse (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> Seems to be. I think about you know Spider-Man three. I mentioned, of course, that '70s show. Right, he was the star of that. And, and uh, uh, right. gosh, was that like 20 years ago now, Tom? <laughs> I, mean, I I never watched it. I was aware of it, but I think it was one of those shows that was bigger over there than over here. So mm-hmm. yeah. But man, if I, it's like, you know, I have to question myself here, Tom, because it's like, man, I, the first half of this episode, I was like, man, if I was in the Twilight Zone, I think I'd be this guy. <laughs> Like that same kind of vibe and energy and look to him. Like, yeah, Topher Grace. So, but in the past, people have kind of told me I'm kind of quirky and, and I look a little bit like Topher Grace. I've gotten that in the past. But then when the episode takes a dark turn, I was like, no, it's not me. Just for yeah. the record, it's not me. <laughs> so, but I think he did a fantastic job with playing all the shades of this character and, and moving between the moods too. 
Like that's not easy to do. I think balancing the comedy with like the the sinister nature of of where it goes because well, you you have it. no no idea that it's going to go that dark when you first meet this guy, right? It's all about that nuance. It's all about walking that edge, and I think because of the bottle catch, you know, <laughs> the bottle it all comes down to the bottle. Catch it all comes right down there. to the bottle catch. It it does signpost that something's not quite right. But is it in a good way? Is it in a bad way? I don't know. There was something just a little, and I'm not saying I'm like the greatest reader of people and stuff like that, <laughs> but there was something just in that gentle humor. You know, she goes to buy the ticket and, sorry, he goes to buy her ticket and she's like, no, no. And he's like, uh oh, too late. You know, I don't know. It, it's nice. There's nothing wrong with it, but it just felt, and this is the beauty of him playing it. Something just seemed off for me. Did, did you get it? <laughs> yeah, because it's it's it was way too much than just coincidence, mm. right? And then the ticket, he runs into her, like the book, the quote, like it just keeps escalating. Yeah. Uh, and this is on this is in the in the teaser, you know, this is even before the opening credits. All this is happening. And you're like, wow, what, where's this gonna go? And 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 just as an aside, too, I love the museum setting of this. I love museums. Uh-huh. I think they're fascinating just places to to walk around and you know I've been in in media so I've got to go to museums at night and I always feel like I'm in a movie or something because it's like some <laughs> you know it's mm-hmm. like some big gala at night and it's just a really cool set piece too because as you're walking around with them they're in one location right yeah. and it's that that adds to that that twilight zone feel to it you know and maybe it's because of the budget in the 1950s and 60s they're like they didn't go many places a lot of the time mm-hmm. but still that this was not a low budget. Like, it was an amazing museum. I, I assume this is a real place somewhere. <laughs> There's no way they built this these sets. I don't know. No. But I think that was a great set piece to put these characters in. And it gives them, because what is it? It's the two people walking around talking. Yeah. Right? A two-hander, as they say. Right? As, <laughs> and, like, so cool to have all these, like, there's a boat, there's, ma- and then the mask play into it at the end. Like, and you're not thinking that all these things are going to all come together. Um, mm. But her, them being, you know, not trapped, but in one place oh. you know together she she could leave but that they are kind of t- so all these things are, are work th- things that you don't even realize are going to play into things play into things later and uh-huh. that's t- to me what makes it so fascinating to watch and rewatch. well that's it it's definitely a good one to rewatch and pick up all those little clues along the way i suppose one of the first ones i, I noticed i can't remember what it was i think she might have mentioned something that she really liked from her past and he goes, oh, really? Well, you still surprise me. Yes, you know? yes, yes. <laughs> Such a throwaway little comment he could have been talking about. We've been talking for 10 minutes and we've got so much in common, and but you still surprise me. But we find out later it's got so much meaning in it. Right. I, w- I wanted to ask you, you know the boat scene? Mm. They climb into the boat and he is... He's obviously had a previous conversation with her where she said, I always wanted to climb into that boat. So they do it and they're lying in there. In any other movie, this might be a beautiful romantic moment, (laughs) but now we know what's going on. It's it's just creepy as all hell. But she leaves her bag and the book in there. Yeah, they linger on that shot. And, And I don't understand the significance. I wanted to ask you whether you did. You know, I thought the when I first saw it, I'm like, oh, is this is this mean something, right? Mm-hmm. 
and then I'm like waiting and it doesn't really mean anything. Like, would she need something out of that? Is it a signifier of something he left behind? Because they were all caught up in the moment and they forgot their stuff there. Yeah. And rewatching it, I was like, oh, I guess he doesn't need the book anymore. Right. Because he was using the book to say, oh, I'm studying that same thing. Here, let me quote this to you, right? And now uh -huh. he's kind of moved past that. Okay. Okay. The book is not necessary, but I like it because it, it it's another like, what is that? What is that there? Like, it's intentional, and because they mm -hmm. leave that shot there, and you're like, what's that all about? So it's in the back of your mind, but it doesn't it doesn't matter that it doesn't like quote unquote pay off. It just kind of enriches what's going on and makes sense because he why would you keep carrying around that <laughs> thick book if you didn't need it anymore, right? So, <laughs> but I, yeah, that stuck out to me. I was actually going to ask you the same thing, <laughs> so I'm glad we're I'm glad we're in alignment there. <laughs> okay, well, I'll, I'll take your I'll take your explanation on that, mm -hmm. man. So this is, um, it's all about the long turn, this episode, isn't it? You know, the mm. kind of, it's like a, a cruise ship turning round. It <laughs> takes forever, but then it's facing in the other direction. So right. it's just nicely paced throughout, I think. And towards the end, it, it's all starting to come out. He's obviously made the decision that this time his plan is to tell her the truth. The right way. Right. Yeah, as he's, I did it the right way this time, as he says. <laughs> yeah, and and one of the things she says is, "So you've been tricking me," and he says, "Tricking you? This has all been for you." And then he says, "You're lucky I'm nice." Yo, yep, yep. That's what it really. <laughs> and she's like, "What?" He's like, "Oh, ha, ha, no, just kidding, just kidding." And you're like, mm. "Yeah," and yeah. that's like the. I mean, you knew it was getting weird, and then you're like, "Oh." I see now <laughs> where this mm -hmm. is going to go or where it could go. And you get a little insight. Like, I think maybe right before that is because when things start really come to a head or at least start to accelerate is when they're sitting there and they're looking at that one sculpture of like the giant bird and the three, I guess, I don't First Nations people, I assume the people who carved it. Right. Right. And and she's like, oh, who? I don't I think he says it first. Yeah. He's like, wow, I really this is my favorite one in here. It's just really amazing how that bird is crushing those people. And she's like, that's the opposite of what it is. It's the people are working together to escape. And he's like, oh, yeah, uh, sure. <laughs> and, <laughs> you know, that just that just shows you that some little insight into what he how he sees things versus yeah. how her and or the rest of the world might see things. So mm -hmm. there's not really like an A to B compared like he's the bird. It's not that. But it, just, it shows you a little insight into how he really thinks because he's not. Assumingly, he's not putting on an act there. Uh, yeah. So that that, and then what she's, you know, you're lucky I'm nice. You're like, oh man, okay. Exactly, because someone who would say that is clearly not nice, right. <laughs> you know. And and I think, you know, when I spoke to Win, he said this is a season all about self, hmm. and I can see that in a lot of episodes. Sometimes you need to dig a little deeper for it. I guess uh, I'm not sure about the octopus. <laughs> what that really <laughs> told me about myself, but um, I think. There is a theme in some of these of entitlement. There was some of that in the first episode. The who of you was very much about entitlement. And I think this character, uh, Mark Wheeler. Mark with a C. Mark with a C. <laughs> <laughs> and and I think, that, all right, we, we are kind of getting to the end, but what the hell. Mm -hmm. um, I think this is why when Jordan Peele said about the internet in the opening narration, this is why it kind of twigged for me because I think to me what this is about is the visibility of people online and how 
people will have a feeling of entitlement towards them because, well, hey, you put that pretty picture online. Why, why are you now, you know, I'm saying nice things about you now. What's wrong with that? You know, I just slipped this into your DMs. What, what's wrong with that? <laughs> Yeah. <laughs> well, there there's a false sense of familiar, familiarity that the internet yeah. creates. Mm-hmm. Uh and yeah, I didn't really I it's interesting because I I love this episode as we'll get to it, right? But like I I didn't really see that that I the internet definitely is one avenue of that. Absolutely. Like I was mm. you know, one of my favorite movies is One Hour Photo, right? And this gave me some yeah. vibes of that too because it's like a, you know, the pre-internet times people had to go develop their pictures, right? Robin Williams, who I love Robin Williams when he plays serious roles too. Maybe because mm-hmm. it's against type, but he's this, this, this sad photo developer guy, like at a drugstore or a supermarket, yeah. and he feels like he's part of this family because he developed their pictures for ten years, right? Mm-hmm. And you're like, ugh, that's, awkward. but you you identify with them, right? Because you're like, I mean, you don't, that's, I de- you sympathize with them, I should say, because you're like, mm. oh man, this, he's a lonely guy, he's just looking for something to hold on to, right? And then that movie goes the way it does was. With, actually, surprisingly, it doesn't go in the, the ways I thought it might based off the trailers. But uh, um, those kind of those people and characters and situations have always existed. And perhaps the Internet has, has brought those more to the forefront. Kind of like yeah. you were saying, like, giving the information and the opportunity, it has allowed certain uh, you know, negative characteristics of people to come to the surface. And yeah. that is certainly what we see here. Because this, this is an abuse of power and information, mm. right? That's what, this, that's what this guy is doing here. Because he... You know, it's like stalking somebody, and this is so, and it's it's so illogical. Because what uh-huh. is your end game? Like, oh, I know, I'm gonna see what this girl likes and things that she's into, and I'm gonna pretend to be into them too, and then I'm gonna fascinate her, and we're gonna strike up a conversation, and then but then what? Like, because it's yeah. if it's all in like like I okay, hey, if you were actually really gonna get into those things, I guess, but you're probably not. You're just using that to have an excuse. To mm-hmm. talk to someone, um, and hey, look, I can, you know, you, you want to make, I mean, yes, you want to make conversations with people, but I think it's, I don't know, it, it's, it's weird. We're, we're starting to wade into dangerous waters here, but it's like, <laughs> <laughs> it's like, you can tell the difference. I, I think, right? I think there's always like an organic kind of like, oh yeah, this that conversations they happen organically, right? And that's mm. great when they do, and it's magical and it's understandable why people want to recapture that lightning in a bottle when you've had that or do have that or are looking for that. But a lot of times they don't, and then it's like, okay, you just need to move on, right? It's like, okay, yeah. sorry, that magic didn't happen this time. Yeah. Um, move on and leave, let this person be, and you go your own separate ways. And I think that's something to be said for here too. Yes, dangerous waters indeed, Zach. <laughs> dangerous waters indeed. <laughs> it kind of takes me back to a conversation we had in Binghamton uh, about our own podcasting horror story. <laughs> oh yes. <laughs> 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 maybe maybe we won't have that on the air again, no, but no. It, it's certainly the same kind of wheelhouse, I guess, um, mm-hmm. as this. But you're right. I suppose because we live half our lives online now that that's where my mind particularly went. And may, maybe it is what the writer meant it to be. You know, well, you put yourself out there like that. Why shouldn't I say these things? You know, whereas it has probably existed for all time just in different ways you know so you're, you're absolutely right there so it's taken its turn yes. and 
he decides, you know what, today I'm just going to go completely nuts. I'm just yeah. going to do whatever I want. And you also get the impression that, you know what, he's probably done worse things than this on different days, you know? Yeah. Because yeah. his game seems to be to try and get her to fall in love with him. And you can imagine that there's probably days where he's thought, you know what, I'm not even going to try doing that. I'm just going to do what I want today. So, you know, I, I kind of got that impression as well. But it's well, certainly... she did tell her, she did tell him once mm. that she loved him. <laughs> it's like, oh, and yeah, that, to, yeah. that speaks to the entitlement, right? It's like, mm-hmm. well, you know, the other day you said, but it's like, yeah, but, you know, I think we can all extrapolate, <laughs> you know, where that's where that goes from that comment. But yeah. yeah, I mean, this is this is the in this you call this evil Groundhog Day, like we joke about it, but it really is evil Groundhog Day because there's the one sequence in Groundhog Day where Bill Murray he's like, whatever, like nothing matters. I'm just gonna. Uh-huh. I mean, it's it's more of a comedy, but it's also there's actually some real depth to that movie. I really do enjoy it. But he's just he's he's li- well. I mean, he does it at Groundhog Day. He he does it at Groundhog. He asks that girl like, <laughs> hey, where did you go to school? What was your teacher's name? And then the next yeah. day he's like, hey. It's Phil. I was in so and so's class at so and so school, and then he hooks up with her that night, right? But then he, you know, and there's that sequence of him um, trying to date Andy McDowell, mm-hmm. and it goes, you know, it, it's played for, you know, it's played for an edge of comedy, but there is some real stuff there too. So he's in like, if if Phil from Groundhog Day had never been redeemed, right? That is this guy just living in that yeah. dark period sequence. And to your point, now he's like, all right, we're just. <laughs> This is what we're doing, right? He, he puts the mask on and grabs the ask, uh, the uh, the axe, and I mean, to our point earlier, right? Topher Grace carries this. Like you believe that this guy, like it doesn't feel completely out of character that this guy would make this crazy turn. You just feel like, oh wow, okay. Mm-hmm. Uh, you mm-hmm. you go with it. And that's a credit to his performance. So does that mean we need to cancel Groundhog Day now? <laughs> <laughs> I'm only joking. Oh no. <laughs> Okay. Um, I mean, we'll talk about the finale in a sec, but I don't think we should. I don't think we should leave the episode without giving praise to Kylie Bunbury, who was playing Claudia King. She too was walking a knife edge, just a, a different side of the knife, I guess. In that, okay, this guy's saying all these things. That's so nice. Hold on, that's a little bit too much. And she was walking the walking that edge in a different way. So I thought I thought she was really great as well. Yeah, because she has to play like, oh, this guy, he's fascinating to me. But then, oh, there's something something going on behind this. And I want to find out what that is. Like she even said, there's even a scene where she's like, look, I, I everything you're saying, I get. But I need to know what's really going on here. Because there's, it clearly, <laughs> the guy knows too much. It's like, it's like getting the cheat sheet and making 100 on the test. Like, man, you got to make like a, 89 or something to not raise suspicion right don't make 100 but yeah yeah. no you're so right because there are you know from her perspective right it's this guy she just met off the street so she plays that and then like Mm -hmm. the the moment in the boat is like the closest they get right where it's like this oh it's cute look at them but then like she really has to play the turn and also earlier she's like i'm gonna kick your ass and they joke about that but that Mm -hmm. becomes like the crux of the climax of the episode that she's gonna kick his ass right and so yeah. yeah no she does a great job too just going through i totally buy both these performances like these are the kind the two-hander right this is this is the best kind of that when you have two mm-hmm. great actors going at it playing these layered characters and you're completely sold on it so yeah credit to both of them absolutely absolutely now in the end 
I find it a very cathartic kind of ending, you know what I mean? She just punches him in the face about like three or four times. And what I like about that as well is that he just seems so pathetic once, yes. once he, you know, he's got that bloody note and then another one and then another one. And and again, I don't want to keep going back to the internet, but I kind of have to. I think that speaks to the the kind of bravado that some people have in that actually, you you know, you're this big person when you're sitting behind your keyboard, but it, is it just a, a kind of mask for who you right. actually are? Because he he li- he puts on that mask to be like the villain, right? Yeah. And yeah. then she punches like when she first punches him when he has the mask on, and then it all falls apart. So I, absolutely, no, that's that's a that's a great analogy there what's, of what's going on. Yeah, I surprise myself sometimes. <laughs> but, um... Well, and then the point the point is made. He's like, well, it doesn't matter. I'm just gonna do this tomorrow and every day. She's like, well, I'll just kick your ass every time, and exactly. that sticks with them clearly. So. Yeah, I I just thought that was, I mean, the ending is that when he walks over to her, when she stood at the side of the road, and this time he hesitates, he doesn't even approach her, and the bus wasn't even going to hit her anyway. Yes, that's a, see, (laughs) I want to ask you about that, right? Because there's a a brief montage where he's kind of explaining to her, and some of it's funny where he's testing out, that guy's name is Bob Johnson, and then she laughs, and he's like, okay, I'm going to keep using that joke, right? Yeah. Um, and also, right, you could say this is a this this is not just for, I'm, I'm all over the place here, but like, side note, you could okay. say this is just not for like, quote unquote, using this on one person, but like, mm. you could transpose like some person, guy or girl, right? I'm not going to discriminate on who might or might not be doing this, right? But- would be using this on multiple people. Like, you know, the, the, the people that use the same pickup lines on the same people, exactly. right? Like, oh, okay. Exactly. Like, that that works on that level too, right? So mm-hmm. it's just like so so many levels, and that's why it's just so great. But you have that little montage where it's like he's practicing and, you know, quote, unquote, try, try, ing. There you have it. So that shows you, though, and one of the, honestly, one of the funniest things, dark comedy, right, <laughs> is when he actually pushes her in front of the bus by mistake. Uh-huh. <laughs> he, he just walks <laughs> off. <laughs> Uh, Dingle's Moving Company. So there you go. Twilight Zone reference. Ding, ding, ding. Um, I but that wasn't an interesting montage to see. But part of me wishes they would have left that out. That was fun to see and insightful to see. Mm. But if they left it out, where at the end she was never gonna get hit by that bus in the first place, right? That could have been like a reveal. Uh, and I think it was kind of a half reveal to me because I was like. I was so caught up in that that montage, I didn't really realize, like, I thought he kept messing it, like, he was yelling at her too soon or too late, and that's what right. was causing her not to get hit. But then at the end, you really realize, oh, he, he had nothing to, because I thought perhaps he, he was in this day, who knows when this started, who knows where he was, but he mm-hmm. saved this woman's life, and he's like, oh, well, I'm going to save her life every day and see where it goes, right? Yeah. But another, whole nother angle twist is that he had not, he didn't save her life at all. Like, she would have been completely fine without him coming into her life, and there's something to be said for that, too. I mean, the closing narration, Jordan Peele says that he has the inability to see beyond himself. He's just, every person in this world is there for whatever I want them to be for. So however he he got stuck in this loop, who knows? Um, It's the Twilight Zone. (laughs) But I kind of took it as 
he must have walked past and thought, you know what, I like that woman. I'm going, I'm going to set myself up as a hero here. And and he tried a few things that didn't work out. And so he's he's eventually got it down. So are you saying you would have preferred that montage at the end or just not to be there at all? I think to if you were if they were gonna go that angle like that was a big reveal, leave that mm. out entirely. Just trust his quote unquote word uh, right, right. on it. And then you see at the end, like, and it, it works perfectly the way it is. I'm just saying another way to go about it was to kind of make that a, a reveal. Mm-hmm. Um, but, but to your point there, right, even earlier, she, he, he mentions like, you're, you're barely even real. And she's like, what? And he's like, yeah, yeah. you know, uh, everything I do, like it has no consequence. And, and you guys are just, you know, barely, I mean, that, that, that's insightful. He's like, what is good? Is good just to look good for other people. I'm like, there's, mm-hmm. I mean, there's, you could, you could like analyze this from a thesis paper on some of the, <laughs> the concepts they bring up here, which is so great. It makes it so rewatchable. And, uh, and yeah, I, I absolutely love this one. And, and the ending, you're like, that is his you know, twilight zone justice, right? It's like, he mm-hmm. is trapped in this forever. You know, maybe one day, because as we learned in a small town, Tom, no one is beyond redemption. So perhaps one day he'll have his Groundhog Day <laughs> moment of where he gets out of the time loop. But this is a pretty despicable guy, and I think we'd all be happy if he's just trapped in this world forever. I love the ending because it's such a small thing that he just decides not to do it, mm. and she's won. Him getting punched in the face was pretty cathartic <laughs> and just showing how pathetic he was. But then the, the fact that the next day he's turned up and thought, oh, no, mm. you know... The bully got his comeuppance, and he yeah. he decided I can't. I'm not going to bully that person anymore. Well, it's an it's an empowering moment, you know. It's an empowering mm. message to say, yeah, she stood up to him, and that's left an impression. And now he's not going to mess with her anymore, even though she's unaware of it, right? Mm-hmm. That's a very empowering statement. Like, yeah, do stand up, right? Even if you think it won't make a difference, it, it might. So yeah. I'll, always, yeah. you know. So the, again, thesis paper to be written on this one day. So. <laughs> Thesis paper to be written in the Twilight Zone. Very good. Um, okay, so I think we're both pretty positive on this one, Zach. But for the Statsman, Harold Clark, what would your score on this one be? I would give this a 10 out of 10. This is my favorite episode of the new Twilight Zone, both seasons. So this mm-hmm. is top tier Twilight Zone. Uh, so many angles to this. Uh, and, that, and that's what's great, right? We've been talking about this whole season. You and the listeners like... It's they took a different approach this season with like the mm-hmm. the messages, if you will. And I really feel to me, this connects better the, this form of storytelling. Like, yeah, we know kind of what they're saying, but, you know, it's not like, oh, well, this is the one about fill in the blank. Right. Uh, mm-hmm. So I'll say this real quick. Not all men was my least favorite episode of the first mm-hmm. season and probably all the seasons. I don't know. We'll get to the next one in a second. But this has, you know, if you look at it, this has the same message of Mm. not all met but the approach was completely different and i think more effective in this format so just wanted to say that and i give this 10 out of 10 yeah it's a good point it's a good point (laughs) that's interesting because back to back with the last episode i reviewed with emmy uh, a small town i thought was very twilight zone in its shape you know it had this sort of one element of magic i could completely see that being cast with people from like the 60s and made in the 1960s because it really had that twilight zone shape to it this one i think pushes the boundaries a bit 
you can definitely say, oh yeah, you know, living the same day over and over, that that's a twilight zone thing, absolutely. But I think the way it goes and what it's talking about, it, it's pushing the boundaries in different ways. And that's what I like about this season and this iteration of the twilight zone. It's nice to go back to those very traditional episodes sometimes, but it can also knock it out the park with an episode like this that pushes the boundaries a bit and goes in slightly different ways, you know? So I think back to back, really, we've seen the best of the new Twilight Zone uh, in these two episodes. Well, this season for me, at least. Man, what am I going to give it? I gave a small town a 10. I'm, go- I'm going to give it a 10. I'm going to go there. There it man. is. There it I is. I love this one. <laughs> <laughs> Okay. All right. Well, is it a game of two halves, though? Let's see. Let's go over to our next episode, which is called You Might Also Like, written and directed by Osgood Perkins, the great Anthony Perkins' son, and uh, a writer and director in his own right as well, and an actor as well. So I did not know that. Yeah. He plays one of the Canemith in, in this episode. I did know that when I looked up who else played one of the other Canemiths, which shocked me. But we'll get into that. <laughs> okay. Let's kind of cut this in two. Two halves to this half. Quarters. It's quarters now. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Let's talk about pre-reveal. Because we have quite a quite an abstract episode, quite a um heightened reality, if you like. It's more sort of stylized and less real world, I think, than pretty much all the other episodes in the season. So let's talk pre-reveal. What what were your thoughts at that point? Well, I thought it was an interesting setup. Obviously, mm-hmm. it's you read the description, you kind of know what it's about. Uh, and it's like, oh, this is about commercialism of some kind or uh, shallow nature of, you know, society. And uh, I, I, I knew they were getting at some angle about that. Like, why do we want this? Because everybody wants this A. That's what they're talking mm. about, right? It's like the new iPhone. Everybody has to have it, right? So that's kind of what yeah. the that's the what I draw the parallel to. And I thought they were going to go somewhere with that. And I thought that was interesting. And then there's a mystery of why is she passing out? Uh, and then of course there's the original Twilight Zone music cue, which they're using. Mm-hmm. Uh, and then of course there's the giant reveal, which is spoiled for me, but we <laughs> we can talk about that. So that was in the back of my head. I, I really I wish I had seen this clean, Tom. I wish I had no idea. Okay. What was going on? Because uh, as as much as I'm saying about the first half now, that's great on its own. But the problem is, Entertainment Weekly spoiled this episode for me two episodes yeah. before CBS All Access <laughs> posted the shows. And I'm watching through the episodes. I'm like, okay, all right. There's going to be a Canimates. They're going to show up. Well, this is the last episode. It must be this one. <laughs> it's so yeah, I'm just yeah. waiting <laughs> the whole first half. But I think on its own, they... They didn't need to do any of that cannabis stuff. They could have. I would have preferred if they delved more into what they seemed to be going for in the first half. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. That's my take. So I, I saw three episodes up front, which was great. You know, I'm always. I feel privileged to be able to do that, so I'm happy. And I thought two of them are good. You know, I like two of them. Um, and there's one dud. Well, this was <laughs> this was the third one that I saw, and this was the one that I, I thought was. A dud on the first watch. So now, you did not also like this one, Todd. <laughs> <laughs> I, I have had a bit of a journey with this one. Okay. Whether it, it's gonna take me all the way to the top of that mountain, who knows? But this subject matter, 
it's something kind of, I'm not going to say close to my heart, but I seem to be a natural collector of things. You know, when I get into something, I, I end up with like a shelf full of stuff about that thing. And I always feel like I need the next thing. So once I watched it a second time and, and the sort of surreality of it settled in a bit and I could very much see that that was what it's about. And we're still talking about the first half here. Mm-hmm. Um, just a lot of these lines really kind of rang true to me. Everything will be okay. And this time it will be okay forever. <laughs> now, that speaks to the 10 different editions of Dawn of the Dead sitting on my you know, Blu-ray shelf that it's like, this is the ultimate edition. But then next year, this better edition comes out and it's got these, these other couple of extra things. And I suppose you can justify that in a way because the picture gets slightly better. They'll do another restoration of it. But it also speaks to the, like, I'm not a big phone guy. I don't particularly need to, oh, I've got a new phone and the camera's slightly better. You know, I listen to podcasts on my phone and phone people occasionally and text <laughs> that's about it but i think as i got older and i looked at this stuff that i'd amassed to the point where i was looking at boxes of things and thought i'm never going to watch that again i'm never going to read that again and sort of reevaluated what am i spending my money on you know and what do i actually value in life um Man, I'm getting sort of very personal <laughs> and deep here. But I mean, and it it was almost kind of along with um a lot of things coming out about, you know, the minim- minimalism movement and mm. tiny houses and people kind of really reevaluating what do we actually need to live, you know? And and that was kind of I'm not saying I'm sitting here in a house with one chair and a computer in it and a bed. Tom currently lives in a 400 square foot tiny house <laughs> in the woods. <laughs> um, but I've certainly become a lot more selective about the things I will buy. And even sometimes I will still get sucked into something and I'll wake up in the morning and the postman comes and it's like, oh man, I've what done have it again. I done? <laughs> So I, you know, I I like all this stuff. You know, the the main character, what was her name? Janet Warren. She was kind of like someone throughout the episode who who's starting to wake up from mm-hmm. the, the the machine, if you like. Yeah. And her friend, um, I think her name was Ellen Jones, was just happy to be part of it still. Yeah. You know. Like Gretchen Moll's character was saying at the beginning, I don't know what's going on. And her friend says, well, what does your phone say about it? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and, just, just very vapid, very just just eating whatever is given to you. Uh, appearances yeah. only kind of person, definitely. So, and, and then we have this thing, the egg. And I think when, because none of us know what it is in the beginning, I think we're probably all thinking like Alexa and, and all that kind of stuff. But I think once you you remove what the object actually is. Like, we don't know what it is. Is it like a new iPhone? Is it a new electrical thing? Is it a new whatever? Once you remove that out, so you don't actually know what it is, but you just see how people are reacting to it, it kind of makes everything seem ridiculous the way we we act around these new things. 
And mm-hmm. at, one, at one point she has a conversation with a woman called Megan and she says to Megan, tell me something, Megan, why do you want your family's egg? And she says, because it's coming out. Yeah. You know? right. So I think I'm really on board with this kind of stuff. You well, know? And then the other people are questioning her when she's not excited enough, you know, like her yeah. friend and the people on the phone, like, you don't sound excited. Why aren't you excited? You know, mm-hmm. you feel that way too. You feel like this peer pressure to like, well, I, I don't really care. Is that okay? <laughs> you know, and this regime yeah. ends up going. So yeah, that's a good journey of that care, like waking up and then, you know, tying it together with her always being put to sleep somehow. Is that the machine? Whatever that might be. The powers that be trying to put her back and her take your pills, right? You know, <laughs> just, you know, mm-hmm. take the blue pill, not the red pill. You know, to quote the Matrix. Uh, yeah. And that, No, I agree, Tom. That's, that's very insightful about your personality. And uh, that's... Uh... <laughs> I'm going to cut that bit out. <laughs> but, you know, it's... I, I think it very much speaks to... And especially... The internet again, but especially being online, we are just advertised to 24-7 these days. And I think the kind of insidious nature of advertising is that it's not just saying, do you want this thing? It's saying, if if you don't want this thing, or if you don't have this thing, then things mustn't be okay for you. And And that's what they keep saying throughout it. You know, Megan, who she was on the phone to, says, I just want everything to be okay. And she says to her, things aren't okay to you. And she's like, yeah, they're, they're, they're fine. You know, so anyway, I've rambled on about that enough. <laughs> but this part of it, I really like. I really like this message. And I think it's definitely something the Twilight Zone should get into. But then we get the reveal of the Canemit. Now... <laughs> Tell me your thoughts on this scene, Zach. I've, I've rambled long enough. Oh, boy. Well, I mean, I, I knew the candidates were going to show up. Mm-hmm. And I was like, oh, this is an interesting situation. It's an interesting opportunity for the Twilight Zone to revisit something beloved mm. from the original series. Uh, we talk a lot about uh, the Patreon and other places and conversation, the reboots of the show. Mm. And the 2000 show, everybody doesn't like it, seems. I have not watched it in a long time, but there are a few episodes I really do enjoy. And one episode in particular is It's Still a Good Life, and it's a direct sequel to It's a Good Life, and it has Billy yeah. Mooby back as Anthony Fremont. And I'm like, what a unique opportunity, right? That was, okay. And that was a great episode, too. It wasn't just great because it was a sequel. It was great on its own. But one day, in some form or fashion, behind a microphone, you'll get to it, Tom. So mm. I was like, oh, this is going to be a sequel to The Serve of Man. That's great. Like, we're going to see what happens. I mean, because I knew that the cannabis are in it, I was like, we're going to see, like, is it Earth when they were now, like, a like a farm? Is it going to be, like, their planet where the humans are kept? Like, there are endless possibilities to revisit the cannabis and to kind of mm-hmm. update the special effects of them. Because, you know, back in the 50s, they're like a goofy black and white looking alien with a questionable prosthetic. But what they decided to do was just bring that goofy-looking alien, who's black and white, with a questionable prosthetic. It's like the was it just me? Or was the makeup intentionally bad, Tom? On these can like I could see the line of the of the head of the guy. Yeah, that was yeah. weird. And what it felt like to me? Do you watch the X Files or have you watched the X Files ever, Tom? Yeah, I watched it up to a point. I think I lost touch after a while, but yeah, okay. absolutely. So when they did comedy episodes, uh especially one writer called Darren Morgan, who's Glenn Morgan's brother. Glenn Morgan works on the mm. show now. He has did some of my favorite episodes of The X-Files, but they were self-aware comedies. And mm. they were absurd, but they worked. Um, this, this, The first cannabis scene where she's stuck in a tree and there's three cannabis arguing in the yard about what to do, 
that felt like an attempt at that, like an X-Files comedy episode that had the same vibe to me, but it uh-huh. just fell so flat. It's like, ooh, extra crispy because we're cannibals. You get it? I'm like, no, no, no. Mm-hmm. <laughs> it's just so, not, it immediate, whatever the episode had going for it at that point, immediately sunk it for me. And then the rest, I'm just kind of playing out the stretch, as they say in sports, like, oh, so now we're going to see the cannabis queen and stuff and, I don't care anymore. Like, so that's what happened. It's very, very unfortunate. Perhaps I had different <laughs> expectations. I don't know. And again, I don't know how I would have felt if I didn't know there were cannabis, right? Mm. If they'd been like, whoa, where'd that come from? I might have been delighted to see something and like the joy of the surprise might have carried me through. But the fact that this was like heavily marketed, <laughs> it's like, okay, well, you better deliver. And they did not. So that's my, those are my two cents on the reveal of the cannabis here, Tom. Well, the thing is, I, I got that surprise because I'd seen it before CBS put those images out. I saw it cold. Unfortunately, I've got to tell you, it didn't help. Okay. <laughs> because okay. <laughs> now, <laughs> okay, in the episode's defense, I'll kind of go a bit devil's advocate on it. Apparently, Osgood Perkins, I've read, he wants it to go full on black and white. He wanted to have all the trappings of an original Twilight Zone episode. He wanted to go 4-3 ratio. Oh, really? Okay. Uh, he wanted to go completely that way. And I hope they return that to, to that one day. It'd be cool. So I think he was kind of leaning into the kitsch value of the Kanemit because there isn't a real element of kitsch to Richard Keel, <laughs> slack-jawed, staring off into space with his... <laughs> Uh, with his suit that look, it looks like it's come from a costume shop, you know. I think that's what he was going for. But you're right, the line across the head was maybe a step too far, and the scene just wasn't funny. And it goes on and on. They keep talking. Yeah. <laughs> I'm going to go with a strange sort of comparison here, but Friday the 13th Part 6, I think, is Jason Lives, where Jason comes back to life after not being in the previous movie. And it's a horror comedy. It's a comedy movie. But one thing they don't make fun of is Jason. Hmm. Jason is still Jason, you know? And that's why the movie works, because at the center of this sort of lightly comic movie, Jason is still doing his thing. But this just feels like making fun of the Kanemit. And and yes, there was a... I try not to be too precious about stuff, and I'm not going to go on message boards, you know, (laughs) what did they do to the Kanemit? You know, I don't care that much. Um, But it's just, um, it it just feels like totally out of character for them as well. It's making fun of them. It's totally out of character for them. It was just very misjudged, I think. And you're saying that one of these Kanemit was someone you recognized? So in... You get to the end credits. It's like special guest star George Takei. And I'm like, what? George Takei was in this episode, so I had to go look it up because I didn't see him or recognize him. Apparently, he played one of the candidates. I really? I can only assume he did the voice, but even then, he has a very right. distinctive voice, and I didn't, unless he was trying to disguise it. But then, what's the point of, you know, I want to hear George Takei, right? If I'm gonna hear George Takei, oh <laughs> <laughs> but I didn't really. Like rewatching it, I was like, "Oh, I guess one of those voices could be George Takei." Um, nice. But the, I mean, that's cool because they brought back an original because he was in an original Twilight Zone episode, The Encounter. Mm. 
Yeah. And of course, being a huge Star Trek fan, I am. It's, you know, I'm like, oh, it's George Takei, right? So that's why I was so shocked when I saw his name in the credits. And I was like, well, uh, I have no idea who he was. And according to IMDb, he was candidate number one. <laughs> so I don't, there was no way he wow. was physically there. It must have been his voice. Um, yeah, because he's like a, a a smaller, older gentleman now, right. you know. Unless he was <laughs> on stilts or something. On his head would have been. <laughs> yeah, he's in his mid-80s. So. Yeah, yeah. I, I don't mind that it was the Canemith, you know, because the Canemith, when they invade you, they don't invade you with guns and weapons. They They do a kind of creeping invasion. So I think that fits with the whole advertising thing, you know, mm-hmm. that it's a creeping invasion of your own personal space, how you spend your money. Right. So I'm okay with that. I, I think it's okay. I just don't like the way they they did them. Right. I mean, because th- this is not a sequel. It's a, hey, we're going to use this aliens you know from the Twilight Zone in a totally different story. So I'm like, yeah, that feels like a missed opportunity. I'm not saying it's wrong. But to me, it felt like a missed opportunity to follow up because I'm like, this is not Earth. This is not that Earth from that Twilight Zone, you know, 50 years later. This is, I guess this is Earth. I know a lot of people are like, is this a cannabis farming planet? Like, and maybe because it feels like a very different society. I don't know. Like, we have no context here. Like, there's even little moments like where she goes to run to her neighbor's house. Like, who mm. had, she has her egg. And then she's like, oh, no. She's like stepped over the lawn into Onto her yard. Lawn, yeah. That was like a moment. She had to step back. I'm like, oh, are there rules here about that kind of thing? I don't know. That it's interesting to me. But. As a, uh-huh. like, I I don't know if this is Earth or if this is a other planet that the cannabis are farming people on. Because you're right, they have their different you know techniques. They don't conquer through weapons; they conquer through these sorts of things. Um, so that yeah. is on brand for them. But I just they made them. A, I think you said it great. They made them a joke, right? And mm-hmm. then we have a about a ten minute scene. It felt with the cannabis queen talking to the main character, yeah. explaining what was going on. Now, why were they? I don't understand. Why were they kidnapping her every night or and putting her back in her bed? Because they weren't eating her because she was still alive. So I don't understand. The only thing I can maybe think is that, oh, this, this one seems to be waking up from, the, you know, the machine kind of thing. But you're right. If they can kidnap her, why didn't they just take her up and eat her? You know? Um, like the, well, Yeah, because they're like, oh, we got to recalibrate her. Maybe they're trying to restart her every day to make her more in line with everybody else. But it's like, okay, how many times are you going to do this? <laughs> yeah, just, just eat her. Eat her. <laughs> <laughs> um, but, you know, the, the thing in, is as well, the publicity shots, the, the cannabis actually look pretty good. Yes. In some of those. Yes. And the scene when we were watching Gretchen Mall on the big screen and there was like rows of cannabis, some of those looked really good. That worked. Yes, I agree. And I, and I almost feel like you should do an edit of this one, Zach. <laughs> Cut out that comedy scene um, and just have them as these silent things because we know what they are. Shorten that queen scene because it went on and on. But even within it, the, you know, there was stuff that I latched on to. She mm-hmm. says to her, all you ever want is something beyond what you already had. And that's that's us, isn't it? To a T. That is a truth of existence. That's for true. That's for sure. For true. That's for sure. <laughs> exactly. So that the cannabis kind of latching onto that and taking advantage of that, I can get on board with it. I just think, I don't know. I don't know. <laughs> it's uh, it's unfortunate because I their intention was to a Valentine for the fans, right? That's like, mm. 
hey, that, and that's a that's a term used in Star Trek. Rick Berman, one of the executive producers, when they ended Star Trek Enterprise, the last episode of Enterprise uh, was basically an episode of Next Generation. <laughs> it's a very right. long story, okay. but they're like, yeah, you guys are gonna love this. Like, it's, it's like, no, we're not. <laughs> like, I, I I know you meant well. I know you meant yeah. well, but it just did not land. And that's how I felt about this one. It's it's the last episode of the season too. It's I, I guess perhaps this is going to be a pattern where the last episode is going to be more have more connections to the original series. Obviously, we had Blurry Man mm. last year with Rod Serling and a lot more quote unquote Rod Serling and a lot more you know just elements and black turn black and white at the end and that kind of thing. So maybe that's going to be a tradition. I I think that's a great idea as a tradition. I just think the execution was lacking here. It didn't all tie together. It didn't, and the story just didn't add up at the end of the day, the, like the first half mm. and the second half. So, yeah, yeah. I mean, when I boil it down to to what we get, like I, I'm not one of those people who like, oh, there's one bad scene in this movie, it ruins the movie for me. <laughs> you know, I hate it. <laughs> I'm not usually that guy. I can usually take what I like from something. I think with this one though, just that that comedy scene <laughs> just really soured a lot of it for me. Yeah. Well, it was an in- intriguing mystery right yeah and then you just hit the brakes and it's bad comedy and what age is worse than anything as we know as twilight zone fans bad comedy top well i guess it's on brand there then <laughs> i guess you know what i mean it's like the old twilight zone couldn't do comedy and i guess this one can't either um but what i will say is it's a shame that scene's in there i think if that wasn't there and the the alien uh, sorry, the Cannon McQueen scene was a bit shorter. I probably would be a lot more positive about this episode because I really like the ending mm. where she knows what's going on now. She knows that this is the destruction of Earth. But you know what? Sometimes it's easier to be part of the machine and run headlong to your doom than it is to be the person who says, hold on a minute, this just isn't right. So I I do actually really love the image of her smiling, running towards her doom to get her egg and help with the obliteration of Hmm. mankind because that's what it is, isn't it? We spend our money on rubbish. We pollute (laughs) the earth with plastic nonsense from Happy Meals. You know, it says it all. And I, I think in an episode that lacked subtlety in other places, this was actually a really cool moment. Ignorance is bliss in the Twilight Zone. Yeah. <laughs> that being said, Zach, uh, what are your scores for this one? <sighs> Guess a two out of ten. I just mm-hmm. really didn't like it, guys. I'm sorry. <laughs> There's only two misses. Only two misses this season, though. And we'll get into that uh-huh. as we get a wrap up. But two bad ones, ten good to great to okay ones. This just happens yeah. to be one of the two bad ones. So two out of ten for me. I think after that first watch, I, I would have been right there. I'm going to go with a four because, I don't know, man, I just I just like what it's about. And some of the lines were really great. Just some of the stuff in it. It's just I would rather have sometimes an interesting failure hmm. than... A complete failure, if you know what I mean. I see. Well, I see. I think eight is the interesting failure because <laughs> at least eight, eight, eight makes like it's dumb with the octopus that can use an iPhone. <laughs> but mm. I understand the plot, right? There's super intelligent yeah. octopus <laughs> uses the iPhone, <laughs> takes the DNA restructuring, 
brings it back to his people and they're going to take over the earth. Okay. That's that's insane <laughs> and whatever, uh-huh. but but this is like I don't the plot just doesn't make sense either here. <laughs> In addition to mm. the bad comedy and the forced references to the original series. So, uh, but I, I can I, I respect your four, Tom. I respect it. So. Thank you, man. Thank you. <laughs> okay. <laughs> so, we're going to come to our ranking then. Do you want to go like with your whole 10 or do we hmm. go back and forth here? I, I don't know. It kind of gets messy if we go back and forth. Yeah, it, it does. So I'll, I'll let you go first. You're my guest. Go for it, man. Thank you. What a, what a gracious host you are. So should I go 10 to 1 or 1 to 10? It's more suspenseful if I go 10 to 1. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> All right, 10 to 1. <laughs> Number 10. So, so guys, these are my top 10 episodes of Twilight Zone Season 2. All right. So, <laughs> Number 10, you might also like. Okay. Number nine, eight. I know that's confusing. confusing. <laughs> <laughs> Number eight, ovation. Mm-hmm. Number seven, a human face. Number six, among the untrodden. Number five, downtime. Number four, the who you view. Number three, a small town. Number two, meet in the middle. Number one, try, try. Good ranking, man. Good ranking. What about you, Tom? Well, this is going to seem strange considering my last two, I actually scored higher than uh, my number eight. Just throw throw the, well, ra- throw the numbers out. <laughs> okay. <laughs> well, see, this is the thing. My, my last one is Ovation. Mm, okay. I, I, don't, I don't think it was like a, this deplorable episode, but it just... There's nothing really left for me with it, hmm. you know what I mean? It, it it sort of fumbled the ball at the end, and and it just you know, the more I've thought about it, the less I kind of want to go back to it. Okay. Um, so I'll go ovation, then eight, and then my actual number eight is you might also like. So the one we just talked about. Yeah. So our, our that that uh, tier we are in alignment there. Uh-huh. Bottom three. And then you see the thing is though. Once you got that out of the way, like my next episode, I scored a seven and then it's all the way up from there. So Mm -hmm. like you said, you know, a ranking (laughs) can seem crueler than it actually is. (laughs) Well, uh, you talk about a tale of two halves with this episode and conversation, uh, like a tale of two rankings, like I, because I agree, I think those three (laughs) belong at the bottom and the other seven off the top, you know, some higher than others. But I mean, once you get past that line, I think you got a lot of good stuff there. Exactly, exactly. Okay, so I've been talking too much, so let me go. <laughs> All right, so it starts with Ovation, then Eight, then You Might Also Like, then Among the Untrodden, then Meet in the Middle, then The Who of You, then A Human Face, and then Downtime, then Try Try, and then A Small Town. So yeah, you know, Among the Untrodden was a seven, Meet in the Middle was an eight, I think, so everything after, like, the bottom three all got good scores and good mm-hmm. reviews from me. So that's not a bad kind of uh, average at all, I don't think. Yeah, Ovation is that one like right in the middle. Like it's it's on the, to me, it's like on the line. <laughs> it's like mm. you're either better than Ovation or not as good as Ovation. Because <laughs> uh, it's just, you know, it's just a below average episode, you know, but those the other, for their, for their own very different reasons, eight and you might also like to me or at the bottom. And uh, yeah. I guess, I guess the next question, Tom, is, did you like season two better than season one? 
Well, I'm going to kind of sit on the fence with that one, Zach, because what I will say is season two did exactly for me what I wanted it to do. Now, there wasn't, I would say the low points of season two were lower than the low points of season one for me. Mm. Um, there wasn't an episode in season one that I didn't like. It was just very varying degrees of how much I liked them. Saying that, I haven't watched them since we first done it. That might change. I don't know. But I just wanted, okay, we've done that now. Where else are we going to go? And I'm just happy that they went in different places. They'd done things in different ways, you know, and it just added more to this tapestry that the new Twilight Zone is. And one day, if you, you know, hopefully we have several seasons of this. They they haven't announced that it's been renewed, <laughs> but hopefully one day, you know, that oh-so, you know, political first season or whatever, which was never my thought anyway, but once you just mix it up with the whole, it's fine because you have the lighter episodes, you have things like a small town which are hopeful and 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 that kind of thing. So I'm not really going to say it's better. I think it just adds to the whole of this new Twilight Zone for me. So completely sat on the fence with that one, Zach. What about you? Very diplomatic response, Tom. Well done. Well done. I, Thank you, man. I think the hires of this season are much higher than the highs of the first season. I think replay mm-hmm. is, is excellent in 10 out of 10. Uh, up there with the 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 ten out of tens I gave this season, which you know, which would be uh, meet in the middle and try try small town right up there, you know. Uh, after you know after replay, there the comedian's really good, right? But after that, it's everything's kind of you know you know high middle middle. Um, I just it's funny that you know you me and our friend Brandon Shay Mattel were on talking about Nightmare Thirty Thousand Feet, and we were like, "That's amazing! Oh, it's the Twilight Zone is back!" And we were, you know, <laughs> and now I look at like where I'd rank that. I'm like, "Oh, that's just like a little above ovation or something." <laughs> you know, I don't know. Like, I haven't, I haven't rewatched these either, right? Since back, so I'll be mm-hmm. interested to rewatch them all and see. But I think on the whole, like I stepped away from season two. I'm like, yes, like that was that's the kind of Twilight Zone I was looking for. Very satisfied mm-hmm. and. You know, wherever you fall on like, hey, it was too political, there was two messages or all that. I think this one was the, the second season. They listened to that, you know, feedback uh, and mm. they adjusted accordingly in a great way. And I, and there's so many different angles and ways you can look at a lot of these episodes, things you don't even consider, like, you know, uh-huh. th- that some people can watch and just have a fun adventure. Other people are like, oh, it's talking about this. Well, actually, it's talking about this. And that creates conversation. And there's a lot of depth to all these as well. So I, I'm very, very satisfied with season two. I think it was better than season one. And hopefully if we get season three, it'll be better than season two. And we'll just keep on talking about these things. Yeah. Yeah. Let's hope so. Let's hope so, man. Um, okay. Well, that's our reviews. Uh, before we finish this, I just want to say thank you to everyone who's been, who has been a guest along the way. I think if it had been a released um, in the same way as the last season, I would have brought more people in. There was people who were kind of on my list, but um, unfortunately, or fortunately, depends on how you look at it, they released it this way. So I had to keep the team small, go with my, you know, trusted kind of podcasting friends like Zach here and get it done. So thank you to everyone who came on board to do this with me. I I really appreciate it. Um, And also thank you to (laughs) 
the stats man, Harold Clark, for keeping tabs on this mess. <laughs> he's been great. People have been changing their scores left, right, and center behind the scenes, but he's been keeping up on it. So good, man. And, and we'll find out those results uh, probably in a couple of episodes' time because I've actually already recorded the next Twilight Zone podcast, so that's going to be out soon. Um, Zach, it wouldn't be New Twilight Zone without you. Any opportunity to get you on the show for something, I will take it. I, I love having you on the show, man. So tell us what you're up to these days. Well, i got a couple of podcasts, Tom. Uh, been doing Always Soul in the Smallville for a few years now. You can find us on Twitter at AlwaysMallville. We talk about all things to do with Smallville, the young Superman show, and then we you know, talk about little Superman movies and other things here and there as we go. Uh-huh. Uh, also a co-host of Franchise Fatigue on the UFP network. Uh, you have been a guest on there. Uh, and we'll be again mm-hmm. soon talking about Planet of the Apes. So stay Absolutely. tuned for that. Yeah. Uh, so you can find us on U- UFP Earth on Twitter. And as for me personally, you can find me on Twitter at MoronZach. That's M-O-O-R-E-O-N-Z-A-C-H. Great stuff. Thanks for coming on, man. Always appreciate it. Oh, yeah. It's, it's so much fun to talk about these. Uh, especially, you know, like, part of the fun is watching them, and then the other part is talking about them on here or sending in feedback or talking to the other listeners about this. So it's it's an uh, event, man. Like, we, what a time to be alive to have new Twilight Zone to talk about. Little did you know 10 years ago when you were going to start this podcast, <laughs> there was going to be new Twilight Zone coming. So. I know. I know. Well, those are our thoughts, and we are closing the big white door on season two of the new Twilight Zone. So thanks again to all my co-hosts on this journey, but also but also thanks again to all the listeners who sent in feedback as well. It wouldn't be the same without you. Speaking of which, let's play out with the friends of the show. Bye for now. Hey there, Tom. Harold Clark reporting in from Butte, Texas, talking about Try Try, and you might also like So try, try. Sadly, I need to keep my thoughts short on this one uh, so I have time enough to talk about uh, the final episode and the rankings. Um, I'm curious, though, at the end, does he break his uh, Groundhog Day chain uh, by not following her uh, and go in a different direction? uh, Or is is he off to find uh, someone else to just start this whole vicious cycle uh, yet again? Um, the ending narration seems to imply that he's still stuck in this day, uh, I guess, because he can't, you know, look past himself. So who knows? Um, you know, it was an interesting idea. Uh, again, the, the Twilight Zone Groundhog Day. Uh, but I give this episode a 6 out of 10. So on to You Might Also Like. <clears throat> This is a 2 out of 10. Uh, this is the only episode I fully rewatched from beginning to end to see if somehow I missed something or if it was, I'm just, it just went over my head or something. And after the, the, after I rewatched it, uh, this is a two out of 10. Uh, the only way it would have been a one is if somehow they made it anti God or something, but I'll give it a two out of 10 for at least an interesting intro, uh, and um, uh, oxygen towers. I'll never see trees the same way again. Good old oxygen towers. But uh, mm, so, did they feel uh, the need to deliver something unique 
for episode 10 like they did with Blurry Man last season? Uh, were they under some sort of pressure to do something? Uh, who is this for? Is this for diehard fans? You know, oh, look, it's a callback to the Canimates and to serve man. Yay. Uh, or is this for newcomers? Who wouldn't really know? Okay, I don't know who a Canimate is, but and I don't know why they're not, their mouth isn't moving when they're speaking. Uh, man, they could have picked, they could have picked any alien race uh, to do to work into this story, and they picked the Canimates for what purpose? I mean, being a Canimate adds nothing to this story, especially if you're a long diehard fan. In theory, most of the Earth, I guess. If this is a continuation, a sequel, most of the Earth has been taken away. <sighs> Who knows? I mean, I mean, they talk about this. Uh, they talk about, you know, when she's stuck in the tree, they talk about the leg being the best piece and original recipe versus extra crispy. And, uh, you know, the humor, uh, I don't know. I don't get it because the egg is killing all the humans down here on Earth. So why are they talking about <laughs> still eating humans if the egg is doing it themselves? And what was the purpose? What was the purpose of them abducting her multiple times? What are they? What are they doing? Uh, are they probing her brain? Is that how they're getting these commercials? Um, you know, how do you, how does she get stuck in a tree just because she's tied up her leg, you know, to the rope and somehow something happens? And then when we see the Canimates, the very first time we see them, the way they talk and what they're talking about, they just act like a bunch of goofs. Uh, what is this story about? <laughs> is it about commercialism? Uh, you know, they say she has everything. Uh, but they don't really show it. You know, at the beginning of the beginning narration, she, he says that she has every thing. And they don't really show it. I mean, she's got a nice house, a bunch of, you know, she's maybe eccentric. But, you know, if they really wanted to pour, put forth the idea that she's just into buying stuff, they could have showed her, you know, moving boxes from the, 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 the third time she had moved and she's never opened up that box, but she still keeps it like, you know, she's a hoarder or something. But, you know, in the commercials and, uh, oh, man, <laughs> I don't know. But so she, I guess she has everything, but the only thing she doesn't have is her daughter who was stillborn. And, you know, so she, after talking with the, the supervisor, Canimate, she just gives in. <laughs> Are we going back to a human face where, you know, it's the barber thing? She's like, I just don't care. You know, she same thing here, I guess. She just doesn't care. She just wants to hold the thing in her hands before she gets eaten. <laughs> and then, I don't know, maybe the rest of the Canimates will pick up the carcass and Deep fry the deep fry some human leg to however they want, man. I don't know. <laughs> I'm really curious to hear everybody's thoughts, and and I haven't read any reviews. I haven't gone on to the flick chat to see what people's you know saying there, but 
it, it, it's it's just so disappointing because they could have told this exact same story and just not had the cannabis in it. Now, I've heard some people say that maybe they were spoiled because they did hear or read some news articles or something that they knew that this was coming down the line. I didn't. <clears throat> so, you know, when I see them, I'm like, oh, there's the cannabis in color. <laughs> okay. But, oh. Anyway, but uh, yeah, who? All I got to say is I'm glad this wasn't the last episode that I saw of the season. Like I said last week, you know, I, I forgot to watch uh, a small town, so you know, I'm glad I'm glad I finished with that <laughs> as a good palate cleanser. Um, so anyway, but yeah, oh, two out of ten for me. All, all the rest of my episodes were sixes and sevens. And I gave uh, a small town a nine, so that's my favorite this episode. But yeah, this was this is way down there for me. Ah. So anyway, so on to rankings real quick. Uh, you know, me and Tom, we we've talked about the rankings because as I was listening and and, and put, inputting people's scores again, I noticed a lot of people were were putting uh, the same score for multiple episodes. In fact, I think maybe. Uh, Chad, I think, has got at least three tens. So I'm going to be curious to see what, of those three tens, which one he ranks as the best. But I was noticing for me, a lot of mine were sixes and sevens. So I was like, man, I'm going to have a, a decent episode, but it's going to be, you know, seven, eight, nine on my list. So it'd be interesting to see how other people, uh, other people's rankings are. But so my rankings, uh, number 10 is, uh, yeah. You might almost you might also like which I didn't uh, way down at number ten. Uh, number nine is among the untrodden, and that was a six for me. You know, it was it was decent. Like there were some things I didn't necessarily enjoy about it, but it was at least a decent episode. Um, you know, there's things you can sink your teeth into, but whew. so big jump from ten to nine for me. So you might also like among the untrodden. Try try uh, ovation at seven. Downtime at six, eight at number five, uh, meet in the middle at four, and then number three is the Who of You, number two is a human face, and number one for me is a small town. So there you go. Um, curious to get everybody's scores, and I'll get with Tom, and we'll work something together to see how these rankings and, and stuff work out for this season compared to last season. I also noticed that. Uh, Uncommon NASA's got a top 20 uh, ranking list up over on Flick Chat, so go go check that out. Um, but anyway, but yeah, so there you go, season two. You know, I hope they, I hope it gets picked up for season three. Um, you know, who knows what maybe the overall theme is. Um, you know, you know there might be might be more. You know, maybe there's some more reflections on the whole you know, COVID thing and loneliness and, you know, stuff like that. And maybe even some political stuff about how, you know, this, you know, how various countries have handled this situation and free choice and freedom and, you know, love of man and who knows. But I hope they get picked up for season three and um, and uh, we'll just see where they go from there. But anyway, but again, I thank everybody for putting in their scores and I, again, as always, Tom, thank you for giving us a voice to to, to put out there. And, and again, thank you for doing this. And, and again, uh, we'll 
we'll see uh, what next season brings, hopefully. So I'll talk to you guys then. Hi, Tom. This is Andrew Schneider in Houston, Texas, with some thoughts on the final two episodes of season two of The New Twilight Zone. Um, first of all, episode nine, Try, Try. This was one of my favorites of the season. I would say I'd rank it right up there with a small town, giving them both 10 out of 10. Um, it was a, a story that I, I kind of latched onto fairly early on. I saw what the first twist was anyway, that this was essentially a retelling of Groundhog Day from the perspective of someone other than the one stuck in the time loop. And uh, my thought initially was that I was looking at a, a Twilight Zone romance where potentially the uh, the woman would help him, uh, help the man break out of the loop that he was stuck in and that would be the resolution of the story. Um I didn't quite initially see it getting as as dark as it was, but uh, I, it made it a, a much richer story for me for that, um, and particularly enjoyed the fact that uh, Claudia was able to move on while Mark remained stuck, um, and for all his for all that he'd supposedly learned over the thousands upon thousands of times that he'd had to live through the same day and over again. It was almost as if he, he hadn't learned the most important thing, which is that everybody is supposed to have free will. And uh, you know, the fact that he um, was able to foresee things as a result of his experiences didn't make the lives of the people that he was interacting with any the less valuable. So again, 10 out of 10. Uh, ironically, the last episode you might also like, I didn't particularly like. Um, it struck me as a, a straight up comment on consumerism. Uh, the Twilight Zone's done this before. Um, the fact that it had the canimates in it made it very obviously, in, in one sense at least, a, a, a reworking of To Serve Man, um, for, for those for whom that wasn't quite obvious enough. It also had elements for me, of a, another episode, one which I really did not care for in the original series, number 12 looks just like you, um, mainly because there was just some element of unreality in it that just kept me from really identifying with uh, with Janet Warren in, in any way, shape, or form. The entire thing just felt kind of disorienting uh, in, and not in a good way. Um, I would give this one uh, a 5 out of 10, if only because of the, the reappearance of the Canimates in, uh, in a relatively humorous vein compared to the way they were originally presented. Um, but other than that, I, I didn't think it was the best way of ending the season. I would, have, I would have perhaps rearranged the order on these last two. Anyway, those are my thoughts, short and sweet, and uh, look forward to... Hearing your thoughts on these last two episodes and getting back to season four of the original series, speak to you soon. Hey, Tom, this is Zach from overseas, and I am uh, giving my feedback on Twilight Zone season two, episode nine, Try, Try, starring Topher Grace and Kylie Bunbury. And I feel this is one of like the best episodes of the season. Uh, Topher Grace really pl played the character well. This guy who's going on time loops is like a Groundhog's Day. 
every day he has the same scenario and he's trying to his mission might be to, to try to woo that girl um, but for some reason she never uh, falls for his advances and each day he tries again and again and again and again and even when they have the confrontation it just seems like it was going downhill so then the next day when he woke up and he uh, saw the the, um, the girl he just ignored her um, so maybe smiled a little bit, but didn't try to save her and didn't try to advance with her. Maybe this time he'll be saved and he'll get out of this uh, daily rut. He'll be able to move on with his life. So um, it just goes to show you that uh, it can be very. Um, this episode was very existential, very um, suspenseful. I was rooting for him. I was hoping that Grace's character would actually get to. Um, woo or seduce that Kylie character but unfortunately it didn't work out and she wasn't interested and I just felt that it would have been better it would have been more compatible if she would have interest in him and there would be some sort of romance instead of just being unacquitted love it would have been much better if there was like a romantic element to it but there wasn't maybe at first she was being friendly but it just seemed like it was one-sided, and I really wish that the uh, the writers and the producers made it more of like a, a romantic um, thriller or something, where she would try to save him from being um, time-looped or something. But it unfortunately wasn't like that. It, it should have been. And unfortunately, even episode one um, should have been more um, where the the guy, the main guy and the main girl fell in love and they dated and they got together and they meet in the middle, but it didn't. So there's a lot of unrequited love in season two. Hi, Tom. Matt here from Anthology Podcast, a podcast where I watch and review The Twilight Zone as a first-time viewer and cover other classic and contemporary sci-fi anthology shows. And I'm here today with some quick thoughts about You Might Also Like. So... This episode is so out there and crazy. I, I loved it. I, I really did. I loved the energy of it, the surreal aspect of it. I loved Gretchen Maul's performance as this kind of picturesque and utopic um, housewife who is just the only person that's aware of this spell that is being kind of cast upon everyone on the planet and how much they need this egg product that's going to bring their families together and everything. Um, I really liked that portrayal, that performance in that kind of dynamic. Um, and I was just floored when, uh, the candidates, um, popped up and I thought that was really cool. I was so happy that I got a chance to see, um, to serve man at the 60th anniversary, um, celebration screening in the movie theater uh, last November because the whole conceit of my podcast is I'm going through the Twilight Zone as a first-time viewer so I haven't gotten to that episode yet so I was so happy that I got to that episode when I saw it in the theater so that I had so that I had that context for uh, this episode and I thought it was just a very um a very good energy. Like it was an interesting contrast between to serve man and you might also like, because in to serve man, they use democracy and the promise of, uh, 
the promise of a utopia utopia for the planet as a way to lure humanity into their grasp so that they could eat them. Um, to serve man is far and away a better episode. I mean, I, it's not fair to really compare the original series with, with any of the other iterations I've found, but I mean, it's, it's a better constructed episode, but having said that the contrast of having to serve man be about diplomacy and and a false sense of like security and like like feeding us no pun intended uh feeding humanity their hopes and dreams and everything on a silver platter in contrast to here we have um you might also like is taking like it's the canimates are taking advantage and uh like exploiting this capitalistic uh, consumer culture and everything. So they're brainwashing hu- the hum- uh, the humans into just desperately wanting this product and uh, this product that is uh, murdering them is going to just eradicate the entire human race. Um, very bleak episode. I also thought that the inclusion of, of her backstory, of, of Janet's backstory of, of having a stillborn daughter and ha- her overcoming grief over that or or succumbing to the grief of that. I thought that that was very, um, that was, that was very bleak. And I kind of had a hard time reconciling that with the overall tone of the episode. Um, and that was, that was kind of an issue that I had with it, but I did think that it was pretty, uh, ballsy of the show to have her basically accept, accept like accept her place and kind of go to her doom, if only to just hold the egg as if it were her baby for just a moment. Um, very dark and very, very bleak. Um, maybe there's a different read of this episode that is, is a little bit, um, happier, (laughs) or hopeful, but, um, kind of by my count, it it was pretty bleak, but I still enjoyed it quite a bit. Um, I still really enjoyed the episode. Um, visually it's astounding. Oz Perkins wrote and directed it and he is very impressive. I, I'm very impressed with him and just super impressed today. Like today I found out that he is, uh, Anthony Perkins, uh, son and that just kind of blew my mind. But anyway, um, yeah, overall very solid episode of the three that I've seen. Um, it's probably, it might be my favorite favorite of the three. I, no, it's my second favorite because Meet in the Middle I, I really uh, adored. Um, but yeah, I just, I love it for what it does for the uh, context of, of the original series and its placement in this Twilight Zone franchise, as it were. Um, I just thought it was it was a really solid episode with some really good acting and just a really fun, surreal reality that uh, um goes to some pretty bleak places. So those are my thoughts on You Might Also Like. I do have a review of it on my podcast. Uh, Thank you so much, Tom, for doing this once again. Um, I'm a huge fan of your show, and it's just, it's a delight to uh, have a small opportunity to be a very small part of it. So thank you so much for this opportunity, and keep up the great work, and I can't wait to hear uh, your reviews. So thank you, and uh, have a good one. Hi, Tom. Chad here with a couple thoughts on our final pair of episodes wrapping up season two of the new Twilight Zone. 
First off, we have Try Try, and I unabashedly loved this episode. I thought it was hands down the best of the season, and I think Try Try is up there with the comedian for not only being the best of all of the Twilight Zone remakes, but for being some of the best episodes even uh, when compared with the best of the original Twilight Zone uh, series. There's a quote that I have uh, carried around and memorized years ago. I don't remember where I picked it up, but the quote is, the mask does not conceal one's identity, but reveals it. And this episode speaks to that favorite quote. Uh, I love the opening shots of the indigenous and ancient masks in the museum. They not only situate us into the setting where the story takes place, but they also give us a perfect theme, a perfect meaning, and a perfect metaphor for the episode. At one point, Mark uh, pulls out a quote, and that quote is, quote, a truth so true that we put it in quarantine. But Mark uh, eventually tells the truth to Claudia, and that truth is that all of these whimsical coincidences uh, that seemed like they were sort of a star-crossed pair of lovers were, were in fact just a series of elaborate perfectly executed performances practiced in perpetuity because this was a day that just kept repeating over and over. However, the problem here is that this honesty was not a real disclosure because this wasn't Mark bearing his soul and connecting with Claudia. This was just Mark making another attempt to manipulate Claudia and to take what he wanted from her. This episode does to us, the audience, what Mark does to Claudia. It always keeps us off balance. It keeps us wondering what the truth is. And it's it's a little bit like gaslighting uh, for us, the audience. And I thought that the meta-analysis of season two for me was all about selfishness. A lot of the characters... Um, are plagued with selfishness. They're trying to take what they want and in being obsessed with their own wants and needs, they're not connecting with other people. And in not connecting with other people, uh, the suffering that they experience and also that the others experience all is kind of born out of that selfishness and that lack of authentic connection to others. And I thought this episode spoke to that. Uh, I thought a lot of the episodes spoke to it. And, you know, the, the, sort of feel-good episodes of a human face and especially a small town kind of provided an antidote to selfishness because those were the episodes where there were acts of generosity, uh, acts of true connection to other people. And in those couple of episodes, we kind of got the the antidote. And in a lot of the more dark episodes, it was looking at the other side of the coin when selfishness is indulged and when we're seeking you know, what we want and not connecting with others, uh, that's where a lot of the, the, the greatest harms to everyone came in. So anyway, I thought Try Try was uh, hands down a perfect episode, a perfect 10, no question about it. And if you liked Try Try, you may also like, you may also like, and I did also like, you may also like. Uh, I didn't think it was perfect. It wasn't up there among the best, but I really liked the how they worked in the Canimates. I liked how uh, they updated the Canimate story. It wasn't ruined for me because luckily I didn't see any of the advertisements that gave it away. 
I liked the commentary on consumerism, and I thought that that meta-narrative of selfishness also ran through this episode as well. I didn't walk away from this episode feeling that I really knew what they were trying to get at, but I did feel like I had glimpses of it, and so uh, I, I, I liked the finale, and... Um, I think I'll pull my haiku from the flick chat on You May Also Like, and the haiku goes, They're here to serve man, this time with a side of eggs. How about a refund? But the truth is, I don't want a refund on season two. I, I thought overall it was a fantastic season, made all the better for having um, our podcast. Uh, you had excellent guests and I loved your commentaries on the episodes and all of the caller feedback was fantastic and really uh, made the whole experience better than it would have been without it. So fingers crossed that we'll all be here for season three if there is one. And thanks for doing this again. Cheers. Hi, this is Kasim Gaines calling in from New Jersey again, and today I'm calling about the Twilight Zone episodes Try Try, and you might also like. So I actually had an opportunity to watch both of these episodes, and I have to say I really enjoyed Try Try. I enjoyed the episode on a first viewing, and just right away it really had a way of captivating me. There was something about the way the story started. It just had a very classic Twilight Zone sort of beginning where things felt a little bit off, but you weren't totally sure why. And you could feel things building right away with Topher Grace's character saving the uh, female lead character from getting hit by that truck that's driving by um it feels a little bit off right but ultimately you learn why and i thought the way the information was sort of um, given out over the episode was really really smart um one of the things that i think the original twilight zone episodes did so well was sometimes they would have a character just sort of do an exposition dump they would have a character say you know i am the devil, you know, um, I am an angel, this is, you know, you're in hell, you know, all of those sorts of things. And um, I thought it was really refreshing the way that Topher Grace's character had an opportunity to do that in the episode. And then there was still so much more story to tell. That wasn't the twist per se. That was just sort of um, a twist to get you to the actual twist at the end of the episode. Um, and so I, I thought that was, was smart. Um, one of the things that I noticed also on a repeat viewing is just how many things are in place. Um, it reminded me a lot of Back to the Future, in a sense, where you can go back and watch those films so many times and see all of these little Easter eggs and plot points and visual cues um, that you may not have noticed on a first viewing. Um, it was very similar with this particular story. And one of the, my favorites, I think, um, that I noticed on a second viewing is the first time Topher Grace's characters 
watch beeps and he knows i think um the kids are throwing something at uh the woman character's head and he anticipates it and catches it and um but very faintly you can hear the watch beep before it happens which is sort of a cool thing the Performances are just amazing in that episode, and I think it looks great, and it's a it's a great environment for this story to take place. It's sort of um, fun, and the way we learn about their these characters is sort of exciting. I think the montage of all of the different tries that Topher Grace's character had was a really fun um, way to break up that episode and also sort of show the different iterations of their relationships over time their interactions um it reminded me in a little sense of uh, shadow play from the original twilight zone series um the only thing that i didn't really like about the episode i guess two minor things one is i thought the big sort of ending of uh the woman kicking him in the face or whatever she does she beats him up in some way she hurts him she attacks him um it just felt a little anticlimactic to me, I think. You know, he was, the episode was building so much and the, the tension was getting so heightened. I just felt for it to sort of end with just sort of a couple of kicks or punches um, wasn't, it didn't feel satisfying enough. Um, I would have been interested to see, you know, perhaps, you know, if she had killed him instead, maybe, um, does the day still start over? You know, does he still get another try? Um, that's one of the questions that's sort of raised in the episode. You know, if he killed her, his day, he's pretty confident, will just start over. Um, what would have happened if it were in the reverse? Does he still get another try? Does he remember what happened on this try and maybe treat her more nicely? Um, it's an interesting question. The other thing, too, is at the very end... Um, I liked that it was left sort of ambiguous. I felt like, I don't know why it felt just a little bit flat to me, um, the very ending when the day starts over, but um, I can't quite put my finger on why, but I just felt like I wanted a little bit more. The episode just had such a great beginning and middle and even end until just the last couple of minutes um, for me. But certainly one of the stronger episodes of the season, and I'm going to give Try Try, oh, I think I'm going to give it an eight. I want to give it an eight. Um, so you might also like, this is an episode that I, I get, I've seen a lot online, and I see why people like it. Um, it's an episode that I just think is so incredibly ambitious but it's almost too ambitious. Um, on a first viewing, I absolutely hated it. I thought it was just sort of um, too clever for its own good, I suppose I'll say. But I did watch it a second time, and I, I, I get it. I get what they're going for. I get what they were going, you know, I get why they told the story in the way they did. Um, but to me, it felt out of place in this season. Um, this season did such a great job of dialing back things like the Easter eggs and the references to the first original series. Um, it felt out of place, especially to have the Canimates in such a prominent position in this. Um, I didn't really like their humor. <laughs> I thought it was very dumb. Um, so that struck me as a little bit odd. Um, but 
I get what it was saying about uh, consumerism, about the way we obsess over products. Um, sometimes we want products to solve all of our problems. And, you know, it reminds me a little bit of those commercials that we see on television, of course, for uh, all sorts of medicine that are going to make us happy and jump through fields of sunflowers and things like that. And, um, you know, we all are looking for this sort of miracle drug or miracle product or something like that. Um, it, it was, I appreciated the ambition of it. It didn't feel appropriate totally for this season. And I didn't find it to be, um, you know, obviously it's, it's reminiscent in a way to blurry man, you know, in terms of like, it's a really heavy handed reference to the original series, but it felt but Blurry Man to me felt more appropriate because the entire season last year um, was kind of heavy handed in the way it referenced that original series. So, um, yeah, for me, this particular episode was really just average, maybe even slightly below average. So I'm going to grade it, I think, a four. Um, overall, I thought this season was so much stronger for The Twilight Zone. I really hope that they have an opportunity to do another season. Um, I really liked that this season was more about people and their interactions and their struggles and their desires and their problems as opposed to um, this is the episode about an issue. Um, you know, I don't mind the Twilight Zone being political. I don't mind my fiction being political. But I think when you are telling a story about an issue, it is harder for people to connect to it and relate to it as opposed to when you're telling a story about a person. You know, the original Twilight Zone series was so much about the human condition and human experience and human reactions to circumstances. Um, but I don't think the first season of the Twilight Zone of the new series did that as well. I mean, I'm thinking of an episode like Not All Men, where I don't think any of those characters went through any significant growth in that. Um, even an episode like Six Degrees of Freedom, which I really, really enjoyed from last season. I mean, how many of those characters really experienced any sort of growth or learned something? You know, what did any of us learn about ourselves by watching those stories? Um, so I I felt like this season gave me a lot more of an opportunity for reflection. Um, I do think some of them connected a little bit too much or hit the same note. Um, something like You Might Also Like was a little bit close tonally to um, a human face for me, right? Like they sort of both had that sort of, I mean, they had a very similar ending. Um, if you interpret a human face <laughs> as sort of a, a negative ending and you don't trust Justin Jordan Peele's uh, ending narration. But um, anyway, all this is to say, I really enjoyed uh, the second season of The Twilight Zone. I hope they continue on and I enjoyed having an opportunity to call in. Thanks. Hi, Tom. It's Adam. First, before I get into these episodes, I just want to say, wow, what a season. This has been fantastic. And I'll talk more about it at the end of this uh, recording, but I uh, just wanted to start with that, how great a season this ended up being. Second, 
I have not had this wide of a split in my ratings this season, so I'll get right into it. Now that I've seen all of the episodes, I can say without a doubt that Try Try was my favorite episode of the season and of the series so far. I love that it took an old trope of the Groundhog Day story of a person reliving every day and trying to improve on it, but it took it in such a sinister direction that always existed but never was called out. In the movie Groundhog Day, the Bill Murray character, Phil Connor, does a similar tactic to Topher Grace's character, Mark Wheeler, when he tries to woo his TV producer. He learns her likes and dislikes, and he tries to highlight those to different effects. The lesson he learns is that he needs to not try as hard, just be a nice guy, and she'll fall for him. Try Try starred similarly, but it showed how sinister a man, who essentially turns out to be a time-traveling stalker, is not being loving to Claudia, but he's just manipulating her for his personal desire. He could have spent that time reliving the same day over and over, doing some real good, helping others, learning a new skill, being a nice person, or even just generally leaving people alone. But instead, he used it to trick a woman into falling in love with him over and over and over. When we saw how he made it appear that he saved her from being hit by a delivery van, sometimes actually even crushing her to death, and then it finally revealed that she did not need him to save her in the first place, that was a powerful reveal. I think his escalation from being a charming guy to suddenly threatening to harm her seemed actually plausible and somewhat realistic. He had been trying for what no doubt amounted to many years of trying to woo her with differing levels of effect, and he made the decision that, what does it matter? Her trying to reason with him and explaining that he would still be harming her even if a different version of her appeared the next day was really a gut punch. To think that there are thousands of versions of this person who has been manipulated, harmed, or even killed by this man while he's just trying to perfect his technique is really terrifying. And I think her escalation of trying to reason with him, and plead with him, then run away from him and finally fight him was perfectly played out and executed. What's interesting to me about his character is that if he's telling the truth, he successfully won her over by the end of the day before. He said that she has told him that she loves him in the past, but that wasn't enough for him, and he could have relived that exact same day over and over and ended the day each day with her telling him that she loved him, but he wanted more. And I think that's the crux of who he was. He wasn't content with that, and he wanted her to be so enamored with him that, that what? It's hard to tell what his goal was, but it makes sense that it turned into seeking out, having fun by harming her. He enjoyed this game that he played with the unsuspecting security guards. He loved that he could get away with touching the items in the museum, knowing how a guard would react. He got to know the other patrons of the museum so well that he could call them out and ask how their families were. He is manipulative, sinister, and malcontent. And I think this is why the final ending actually makes sense to me. At first, I thought there's no way that he gives up on her that quickly after one bad day, but... The more I thought about it, I think it's not as much that he's afraid of her than that he now loathes her because she bruised his ego. I think he showed up to the intersection again to start his day as normal, saw her, and felt hatred for her that he had never felt before. She won, and he will likely move on to another victim. It's of course not a flawless episode, but it really felt like it belonged in the Twilight Zone to me, and I loved it from the start. I was left guessing what the magic was, to the end where I saw this very old trope turned on its head. I tried to avoid reading the critical responses to episodes, but I was surprised by its relatively low rating on IMDb, so I read some of the comments to see 
what it was that people had issue with. I was surprised that some of the reviewers took this as a commentary on race when I don't think that came into play at all in this episode. Kylie Bunbury, who was fantastic in this episode, she and Topher Grace were a perfectly paired duo, is black, but that did not come into play at all in this episode. I remember your discussion on The Big Tall Wish and that while the episode could have been easily cast with white actors, the show made the what was bold for its time, decision to have a black principal cast. And I think this episode did the same thing. It does not matter that the narrator is portrayed by a black man, but it adds to the depth of the show that I'm confident that Rod Serling would be proud of. This episode made a similar choice, and again, based on what we know of Mr. Serling's work to incorporate black actors into what would otherwise be traditionally white characters, I think that he wouldn't bat an eye and would be proud that a black actor is portraying a character that just as easily could have been played by a white actor. And while you can certainly look at it through a lens of this is the kind of abuse that black women have to deal with on a regular basis, if you see that as a criticism of the episode, then I recommend looking at the society that has made you recoil at that problem in the first place. I have to say, while I'm hesitant to rate this one so high, if there is a 10 episode in the series so far, this is it. Maybe compared with some future episodes, there might be even better. I certainly hope so. It'd be wonderful to see that the bar continually gets raised. But for now, I give this one a 10. Okay. But then, you might also like. I am hesitant to use this strong of a word, but I really hated this episode. And I think that it's not just that it was a bad episode. It was. It really was. But that's not the main issue. Rather, I felt some level of betrayal from this episode. Ovation, in my opinion, was not a good episode, but I didn't hate it. I mean, it wasn't well executed, and it was too on the nose for my taste, but it wasn't offensive. As a lover of The Twilight Zone, this episode really felt offensive. Uh, not, not in that it was insensitive or inappropriate, but just that it felt like a bad parody of The Twilight Zone made by someone who had a vague memory of the show. And I truly mean no offense to the creators of this episode, but I was shocked by how much I did not like this episode. The one interesting thing for me is the fact that it is the only episode of the new series to include an actor who acted in the original show, um, with George Takei being one of the canimates. So I did like that meta Easter egg. And I liked that the main character repeated the line uh, from To Serve Man, asking what time it was on Earth. I thought that was a cute nod to the original series. But that is really far too little to redeem the episode. As you mentioned in the first episode of these discussions, the marketing for the series had a major spoiler in showing the Canimates, who you don't see until the episode is half over. I really can't imagine why they'd want to spoil that moment other than that they may have felt it would attract more viewers, but I'll be honest, it didn't ruin the episode any more than the episode had already ruined itself, so I guess whatever. I have no qualms giving this episode a one. I cannot think of anything aside from the decision to cast George Takei, but this was honestly not a great performance by what is otherwise a great actor that redeems it for me. There have been times in the past in which you have convinced me to take a second look, and so maybe this will be one of those situations. Maybe you or one of the other reviewers will 
have liked the episode and will help me see what there is to enjoy about this episode. I would love to go back with a fresh pair of eyes and say, okay, I wasn't looking at it that way. Maybe this will be better, but I can't be there right now. I really hated to end this season on the note because of how much I really love Try Try. And so I really hope the series gets a season three so that you might also like doesn't become the bewitching pool of the new series. So I'll end on this. I really enjoyed season one for what it was. I felt it was an homage to the original show, even though I felt it had issues. I didn't absolutely love any single episode from the first season. I was a big fan of Not All Men and Blue Scorpion, but I haven't bothered to watch either of them again since the first watch. But I found myself actually trying to justify the show more than actually enjoy it. I found myself trying to explain to myself why this was a good show. But my experience with season two was completely different. In its best episodes, it was a masterpiece worthy of the Twilight Zone name, but also worthy as its own show separate from the original series. I have no doubt I will watch several of these episodes again, and I found myself genuinely happy by the end of several episodes. And yes, there were a couple of not great episodes, and one, in my opinion, genuinely awful episode, but this season, the good way outweighed the bad. So, my rankings for this season, from best to worst, are Try Try, Among the Untrodden, The Who of You, Meet in the Middle, A Human Face, Downtime, A Small Town, Eight, Ovation, and in last by a very wide margin, you might also like. My hat's off to Jordan Peele, Wynne Rosenfeld, and the rest of the Twilight Zone 2019 production team. Wonderful job, and here's to many more seasons of the show. What's up, Tom? What's up, everybody? This is Uncommon NASA. I had originally recorded like sort of some comments about episodes 9 and 10 and then a top 10, but then I went back to my top 10 and decided to change things around after I had rewatched episodes. So um, we all know Try Try is probably one of, the, for most people, one of the best episodes of the season. And we all know that you might also like is probably one of the worst episodes for most people that watched. So I'm just going to go back and skip those comments now and just go right into like the top 10 countdown for me for official ratings for for harold um i would say try try as a nine and uh you might also like as a four so top 10 time i've rewatched almost all the episodes uh so now i can sort of do this more in an informed way so um let's start from the bottom go to the top uh, number 10 to me is pretty easy, as I had just said earlier. Um, you might also like, it's just, I, I tried to watch it again. I, I couldn't even get through, I couldn't even get through the episode, to be 100% honest. It's just not, I don't know what, what the hell is going on in that episode. It's, it's so straightforward of an idea presented in such a mismatch way, um, overproduced, pretentious sort of way. I, it's just not my style. Of, of entertainment whether you're talking about a twilight zone or not it doesn't feel like a twilight zone but more to the point it's, it's just not even my style of, of of something that i would watch outside of twilight zone it is stylized to the point 
that I could understand why someone would like it because there are people that like niche things like this. I mean, I like Twin Peaks, and this sort of has that feel, but it's it's there's not enough substance behind it the way Twin Peaks had. So, um, no, no, this is just this is my least favorite episode, probably well, definitely of both seasons. We'll get to that in a moment. Uh, number nine for me is the Who of You. It's awesome that Win Rosenfeld came on the show, and it's awesome that he is a producer on The Twilight Zone, uh, because overall the series has been great, and it's definitely been the best revival, and I'm sure he has a lot to do with that. Um, but that being said, I didn't like this episode. It didn't feel like a Twilight Zone. It didn't end like a Twilight Zone. Uh, it didn't fit the arc that I think a Twilight Zone should have. I, I understand Tom's point about you know, being open-minded to approaching things differently. And I don't need everything to fit into a pocket of an older episode. In fact, I don't want it to fit into a pocket of an older episode. I just want it to have that same spirit. It's a basic premise of like a person is fractured in some way. Something happens to them because of the Twilight Zone. They either get justice for themselves or they get punishment. End of story. Take that arc cut it up in a million different ways and that's what you have and it doesn't have to be strict to that but it has to be somewhat adherent to that for me to feel like it's a twilight zone or else it's just another anthology show and it's not to downgrade other anthology shows i like other anthology shows but the twilight zone is not just the twilight zone because it's good it's because it does something different than the other shows that do good work that's just my two cents on that i watched it a second time i actually watched it in black and white um, which was interesting. The eyeball stuff, uh, the eye trick, you know, really looked ill, like in black and white. I actually, it was, I actually enjoyed it better in black and white, believe it or not. Um, but I didn't enjoy it that much. Number eight is meet in the middle. You know, I know not everyone's on the flick chat, um, for this show, but if you're not, you should go there. Uh, it is very cool. Um, so shout out to Tom for, for having that. It's, it's good to be able, I don't go on social media, so like, it's good to go somewhere and know that you're probably only going to be talking about Twilight Zone and, and, and that's pretty awesome. So I said to say, like, I've been pretty, I've been really down on this episode on, on the flick chat. Um, probably more negative than I'd, I'd even like to be about an episode of the Twilight Zone, but I, I was really disturbed by the ending. I thought it really cut the life out of everything that had happened leading up to it. I've heard a lot of different explanations for what this episode means. I think that for, personally, I think that for every explanation, there's a counter explanation or counter action that could make it a different explanation. And that's different than some of the other episodes that really clicked for me where like, maybe you don't get it until you watch it a second time or get it. Maybe you don't get it until you hear somebody else explain something to you. This is like, okay, like five of us in a room can come up with seven theories and none of them really match up. And I, I, I don't like that kind of writing. I, I think it's weak. And I, I didn't like the ending at all. I thought it was, it really gave you, I heard somebody say like, a, it, you didn't really want to root for either of them. And, and I personally like entertainment that has some sort of protagonist. The protagonist doesn't have to win doesn't have to be a happy ending but it i have to be able to root for somebody and either be disappointed that they died or or got a comeuppance or 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 happy for them so i just this is not a good episode i this is the only episode i didn't rewatch any of because it 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 really disturbed me to a point where it as you can hear on the previous recordings that i did when i binged it it really cast a shadow over the rest of the season and, and hurt me from watching a lot of the other episodes 
I think maybe even correctly or fairly um, because I was so disgruntled by that. Number seven is the episode eight. I don't have much to say about this episode. I actually just rewatched it just for the sake of, of completing rewatching them. And uh, yeah, I mean, it's it's a silly episode. And it's not a Twilight Zone. Um, it's, it's an 80s movie. Um, and that's fine. I, I don't have anything against those sorts of like monster movies. I love Alien and Aliens as much as anybody. I love Predator as much as anybody. And as I said in the original comments I had on this, like I love octopuses and I thought that whole theory was cool and it looked great. But in rewatching it, like Joe McHale, man, I, I like Joe McHale. I've actually seen him live and paid to see him perform stand up and so I'm a fan, but wow, this episode did not work for him. His delivery of the expulsory uh, lines was not natural. I mean, ad lib a little bit, even if it's not written well. Like, give me something that makes it not feel like you're reading me a book. Uh, number six is Ovation. Uh, I rewatched Ovation. When I first watched it, I thought it was pretty good. I thought it was kind of in the middle as I rewatched it, I was pretty bored and it, it felt kind of repetitive and it just didn't move. And on the surface, I guess I liked it because it was about music and a musician. And even though that's not my thing, you know, I don't watch like those competition shows or anything like that. But, you know, just the, the, the passion of trying to make it and trying to have people hear your stuff was was really cool. But it, as a Twilight Zone episode, it the reason it's six instead of seven or eight, I guess, is probably because it does it does do the Twilight Zone thing. It does take a person and, and put them through something and, you know, give them an outcome the way a Twilight Zone should. But it's just not it's just not that great of an episode. So now we've got all that out of the way. And that gets me to a point about this season. For me personally, I felt like this was five and five. There were five really great episodes and five episodes that I probably wouldn't go back to if I wasn't an avid like crazy Twilight Zone fan trying to find something to like about them. I would even go so far as to say that I think probably three of the top five from this season are better than any episode from season one, but all five of the bottom five for me are below the 10th placed episode for season one. So it's a real mixed bag for me. To me, it's very hit or miss, but that's not that bad because there are hits um it wasn't misses it was you know only i mean there was five really great episodes even the fifth place episode when i recorded this the first time i had it higher um but it only fell not because i disliked the episode more but because i liked other episodes more than i did originally so number five for me is a human face um i thought a human face was great really good piece of writing chris maloney jenna elfman the woman who played the alien daughter who was probably the star of the episode really in terms of performance and I can't remember her name because I'm not good with stuff like that but great episode um I really liked the messaging you know I didn't get much more from it the second time watching it but I liked what I got the first time so it's fine after that I moved up among the untrodden on my original list to number four because when I rewatched it I I noticed that if you watch it a certain way on the second time, you can kind of tell that Irene understands that she's not real and that she's actually doing things to ward off being, you know, having her usefulness completed because she saw what happened to the key. And then there's a look in her eyes after the key disintegrates that she understands that that's going to be her. 
And to me, that's why she gets so reckless on the balcony and gets drunk and tries to impress everybody because she figures, what does she have to lose? She's just going get, to get disintegrated anyway. And that's how she ends up falling off the balcony, maybe almost as a test of that theory. You know, because then there's a sequence where she's telling her, like, oh, I'm still alive. Like, you must have powers you don't understand. And, and it's, it's all like this interplay of, like, those are things that you would say if you knew what your outcome was going to be just as much as the way it was written the first time you watched it. You're just thinking that Irene has the power and that the main character, I can never remember her name, even as the character, you know, that there's a power shift there and that Irene has all the power and she's just manipulating the main character when in term it's the opposite but now on a rewatch you actually get that the character that she created and Irene understands that she's temporary that's what I got from it and I just thought that was a neat bit of writing I thought that was really cool and uh, that moved it up for me I thought it was really interesting and um, and a really cool thing um, after that is a small town at number three uh, small towns a really cool beautiful episode I'm sure I said all those things when I sent feedback a couple weeks ago. You know, on a rewatch, it's it's a little slow. You know, it's 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 not like an action-packed episode, but it's still really awesome. Um, it's a really cool piece, and I think that the messages that it's sending about small government versus big government, uh, passivism versus activism, just amazing. Like, the metaphors that are in there, no matter how you feel about it as a rewatch item, like... Are, are so strong and it's really important right now considering everything that's going on around the world uh number two was my number one when i first recorded but number two is try try i think this is one of the best episodes the series has produced i think it is i would say now thinking back if i were to think of it like i think these top two episodes are better than the best episodes from season one uh, but Try Try is amazing. I watched it the second time in black and white, uh, which worked really well just because most of the palette at the gallery is, is a white background anyway with the art. And um, it, it's it's an awesome episode. I could go either way. If I watched these two episodes again, maybe I'd change my mind and flip it back. They're very close to me, but, um, you know, it's, it's great. Um, and the number one episode to me is Downtime. Um, when I first recorded Downtime, I think it was fifth on my list, um, maybe fourth, but, but I, fourth or fifth. And I rewatched it and, you know, my wife and, and I, I mean, my wife started it down this road, but then I kind of filled it in too. And like, we both came up with this theory of Phineas being a man who entered into a marriage that was actually, uh, trans. And that this is a story about a depressed trans male that's trying to be faithful to his wife and trying to be you know, the father to his children, but feels trapped inside of his body. And so in my mind, the idea of the other video game, you know, alternate reality, that's all just a device to deliver this message about uh, depressed and trapped trans people. And I, I just thought that was just elegantly done. Um, the reason I think that is because there's a moment where Michelle is introduced to Phineas's wife and she says something to the effect of oh I could see why you chose this body it's she's strong you're, you're strong and beautiful and in control and to me I think that's what clicked with my wife when she heard that line and it was like oh I see you know and why else would a man portray 
himself in an alternate universe, not just as a woman, but as like a strong businesswoman that's in control and has control, has sort of like ownership of herself in that way. And then the ending now makes sense where, you know, before you would just think, oh, well, why is this fake person, this fake computer program avatar want to live forever in a fake world? And then why does the wife want to just be there to see that? And taking it as the story that my wife sort of laid out, you understand the ending now. Like the, the this is Phineas's fulfillment of what he saw himself as going on infinitely. And the wife now who had not really probably participated in the game was like, you know what? I want to know exactly who Phineas really was. So I'm going to go and live in this world. That's why she gives it, I don't know, four weeks or whatever, like a month's day to try this out and see what it's like to maybe have a relationship with Michelle, you know, since that's also Phineas. And you know it's also Phineas because when you see the scene where she becomes the hotel manager, she tells that joke about, uh, I don't know, some kind of barroom joke. But, like, a person like Michelle wouldn't tell that joke, but a person like Phineas, maybe he would. So, like, it's it's deep, and it looks amazing. It's the kind of world, just visually, you want to see, like, the trick with the pigeon and with the skateboard kids and the sort of, like, this futuristic-looking city and the, 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 the orb... You know, it's it's the most Black Mirror episode, I think, of the Twilight Zone reboot here. But it doesn't matter because it, it hits all the right notes and it's still a Twilight Zone and it's just beautifully made. And uh, I'm surprised that I like it as much as I do because my first watch, I didn't get it. Um, I thought it was just about escaping life or whatever and, and about technology. And it's not about any of those things. It just uses those things as a delivery mechanism to talk about identity and and how people identify themselves and the the sacrifices that are sometimes made to 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 have that identity and that's that's incredible to me to be able to put that into science fiction and that that's great so that's number 1 to me and that's that's my top 10 